7: No. <laughs> Professor Sylvain Charlebois, thanks for joining me today. Not a problem. What is the significance of a huge chain like McDonald's going this route with their own veggie burger?
8: Well, I think it is significant. Uh, McDonald's network is, is quite massive. It's the largest in the world. So whenever McDonald's uh, makes a move, <laughs> everyone notices and it was funny, over the last 12, 18 months, uh, many chains committed to, to uh, plant-based dieting one way or another, uh, and that would include Burger King, Subway, Tim Hortons, uh, many chains in the U.S., and everyone was waiting for McDonald's uh, to make a statement. In fact, in the spring of this year and during the summer, we saw uh, McDonald's uh, heavily promoting the virtues of beef, Canadian beef. The authenticity of it, uh, how natural the product is. And so a lot of people thought, well, they're committed to beef and nothing else. But last week, they, McDonald's Global uh, actually announced a pilot project in Canada. So 28 uh, restaurants in Southern Ontario will, uh, as of Monday, September 30th, they are starting to sell a Meat product, which is uniquely designed for McDonald's. So that came as a bit of a surprise. For the market, uh, the uh, Beyond Meat share went up 18% in one day last week, so quite a surprise.
7: What's the significance of a pilot project in Canada only and and kind of limited at that?
8: Yeah, so when you look at the market, the pilot itself, it actually makes sense because they are rural communities and urban centres uh, as well in that one market. you got uh, different ethnic groups as well. And so you can evaluate from a marketing research perspective. It actually makes sense. You can actually extract a lot of interesting findings throughout that 12-week pilot. Now, once they're done in January, they'll probably compile all that data and see uh, what they need to do. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see exactly how McDonald's will assess the situation in that pilot and how that may affect the entire network globally.
7: Now, the other major chain in Canada, A&W, is is actively promoting Beyond Meat in, in their commercials. Uh, what about McDonald's? How are they promoting this? What level of promotion are they making for this?
8: Well, it is a pilot uh, in in one region of the country, so they can't really, typically McDonald's will, uh, they'll have two different campaigns basically, one for Quebec and one for the rest of Canada. That would be typical for McDonald's. Uh, because uh, it, this pilot only affects 28 or 29 restaurants, I don't think they're willing to spend any marketing dollars yet. Uh, and this is Beyond Meat's modus operandi since day one. They actually have their clients do the marketing for them. So they develop channels and they actually uh, they actually get Tim Hortons, and w uh, and different outlets to do the marketing for Beyond Meat. Now in McDonald's case, there's they're still assessing how the market will react to the product.
7: And what about the price of this? Because in the past, McDonald's attempted uh, something similar uh, many years ago, and, and they promoted it with, with low prices. But this time around, that's not the case.
8: Back in 2003, you're right. Uh, McDonald's did, did actually release the veggie burger at a $1.99, and uh, it was unsuccessful uh, i think it was sold for maybe 2 years they were just checking a box uh, in those days uh, to please a, a certain demographic this time around they're actually coming in with a decent product but the product is at 649 which is almost at the same price as a quarter pounder so you can tell that Really, McDonald's is still, explore, is still in an exploring phase at this point. They're trying to see whether or not this PLT is actually going to be more popular than some uh, items on their menu currently.
7: This whole idea of uh, vegetable-based burgers, or sandwiches as they like to call them, is this becoming a bigger thing in North America, or are there other places around the world as well, to your knowledge, that are getting on board this discourse of action?
8: Well this afternoon I'm actually uh, I'm on a plane going to uh, France, uh, Lille, France and there's a global protein summit. And uh, so a bunch of researchers like myself will be talking about this uh, over the next couple of days uh, this week. And uh, this is not uh, a phenomena only in Canada. It's it's affecting the entire western world, uh the industrialized world. So Europe, uh, we're seeing this phenomena in Asia as well. Um, And so, yes, absolutely. And there are two main drivers uh, to this phenomena. And one is uh, is health. People are getting older. They're concerned about their health. So they're thinking about other types of food. I'm not suggesting that plant-based dieting is actually healthier because, I mean, science is is still unclear on that front. And the other issue is the environment with climate change. And a lot of people are are concerned about the planet, and they actually feel empowered by some of these products. So, yeah, we're going to have a a lot of discussions this week about this, but this is not a phenomenon only affecting Canada for sure.
7: Do we know at all? Is there any real evidence that this kind of thing has a less environmental footprint than than beef-based hamburgers?
8: There's no consensus, uh, just because we can't agree on metrics. Uh, there hasn't been any proper life cycle analysis on, uh, any of these products. From a health perspective, it's a little bit clearer, but still, I mean, there, there's a lot of ingredients, uh, put into these products to replicate the taste of beef uh, that it does, it, it, it's not necessarily natural. Uh, on the environmental side, uh, again, uh, there, there hasn't been a whole lot of analysis because we can't agree on how to measure any product's environmental footprint. The, uh, UN actually, uh, presented a, a report this summer on this issue, but when you actually dive into the report itself, some of the measurements were actually a little bit biased towards one type of production versus others, especially when it came to lamb, beef and pork. And so more work needs to be done in that area, I think.
7: Professor Sylvain Charlebois, thank you so much for this. My pleasure.
8: down
9: in South Carolina. With their cargo behind them, they could take a million
10: lives.
11: Next to the city of Charleston in the U.S. state of South Carolina, where there have been claims that tourists aren't learning enough about the historical reality of slavery. 40% of all the African slaves who were brought into the U.S. arrived in this port, and many of the picturesque plantation homes where they worked have now become tourist attractions. But do visitors focus too much on the beauty of the city and not enough on the brutal treatment of the slaves who built its wealth? Ritu Prasad reports from Charleston. To my face, people have said slavery was not that bad. Olivia Williams gives tours at McLeod Plantation in Charleston, South Carolina.
12: Here at McLeod, we do things a little bit differently than they do at other plantations in Charleston because we do focus our perspective on the enslaved people.
11: She was one of the guides mentioned in negative online reviews that recently went viral. Some visitors complained that the tour focused too much on Slavery.
12: So you may feel uncomfortable. You may feel upset, sad, or angry. And that's perfectly fine. If you'd like to walk away, I won't get offended.
11: No one walked off during our tour, but there were moments where you could hear people trying to reckon with the beauty of the grounds and the reality of slavery. It took a lot of
13: work to manage one of these plantations, even though it was done with slave labor. Anyway, it's bad. I hated that, but they could have never managed all this down here without slave labor or some kind of labor.
11: While most on our tour had not expected it to be slave-focused, they did appreciate it, as it's a history rarely taught in schools.
14: It's what you expect. It's as terrible as you would imagine it is. But I feel like it's important to be exposed that way, too, though. You need to know the truth.
11: But not all plantations in Charleston put the stories of slavery at the forefront. This is the
15: dream of Henry Middleton, shall we say.
11: Middleton Place brands itself as home to America's oldest landscaped gardens, but it's also one of the city's oldest plantations. Middleton offers a slave-focused tour, but if visitors aren't looking for it, they could miss it.
8: These places have a historical legacy to them, very much so.
11: Director of Preservation and Interpretation Jeff Neal says they have plans to make the stories of slaves more obvious.
8: This was basically a place of of labor and great suffering, but this was also a place of family. These lands today also have a modern use, shall we say.
11: It's still remarkably easy to romanticize plantations. Weddings at these sites remain popular, a practice not
14: everyone agrees with. We would never go to, say, the 9-11 memorial and host a big party or have a wedding there because it's a beautiful site and completely forget that this atrocious thing happened. And so I, I think it's the same, same with plantations and historical sites around the South. Dr. Camila Martin is Director of African American Studies at the College of Charleston. We want to just focus on, right, the beauty of the landscape. We're still kind of removing, you know, a, a big chunk of that history. And I think to do that is really a slap in the face to people of color in this country. It was only
11: last year that the mayor of Charleston publicly apologized for the institution of slavery, So it's no surprise that at many plantations, it's still possible to avoid that history altogether. McLeod tour guide Olivia Williams again. You have to understand the past to understand the present. But most importantly, you have to understand slavery. And people, oh, it's so long ago. It's so long ago. It, It wasn't. Ignoring such a large part of American history can have unintended consequences. In Charleston, the 2015 mass shooting at the Mother Emanuel Church was one. Two months before a white supremacist killed nine black worshipers, he took a tour of McLeod Plantation.
15: If you read what Dylan Roof wrote, what you read is a narrative that is the same narrative that has been told at places like this for 150 years. It's the same narrative that I was taught growing up in the South. As people walk away from here, I hope that they begin to understand that while that may be a romantic notion, it's not an accurate notion, and it doesn't serve us very well as we try to reconcile with one another, racially speaking.
11: Every American plantation has its own story to tell, and its own way to tell it. Not all think bringing slavery to the forefront is necessary. But for some, plantations have a particular responsibility to the truth, to challenge beliefs on race and America's past. That was Ritu Prasad reporting from Charleston, South Carolina.
8: So that suggestion about buying land is just a suggestion to put that idea in a person's mind that, uh, well, if you're going to buy something, if you're able to do so, buy some land that you can use for a, like I said before, constructive purpose.
16: In Albany, Georgia, a pioneering community land trust is celebrating its 50th anniversary this week. New Communities Land Trust was created as a safe haven for black farmers during the civil rights movement.
6: And today it's helping rural black landowners profit from farming. NPR's Debbie Elliott has the story. Just outside Albany, New Community's co-founder, Shirley Sherrod, stands on a dock overlooking a tranquil pond, moss-draped cypress trees reflecting on the water.
13: They're resilient, whether you're in a drought or whether you're in a flood. They last, and that's the way we feel we
6: are. We will last. They're part of a 1,600-acre plantation once owned by one of Georgia's largest slaveholders.
13: It went from... A bad beginning, which was slavery, to descendants of slaves.
6: Sherrod's name might be familiar. She was Georgia State Director for the USDA in the Obama administration, but resigned in controversy when Breitbart News edited one of her speeches to misconstrue her remarks as racist. Out on the farm, Sherrod drives to a grove of satsumas, a type of mandarin. The trees are full of, of oranges. They're green right now. You don't find many African-American farmers growing satsumas in southwest Georgia, Sherrod says. The land trust is trying to show that it is a profitable crop and find other ways to add value to local farms. On the other side of the farm, workers are vacuuming up the early pecan harvest.
13: So what machines do you have out here now?
6: The property includes cottages and a fully restored antebellum home used for retreats.
13: We look at this as a place where we can also try to heal.
6: The plantation is the modern iteration of a cooperative farm the New Communities Land Trust first established in the 1960s when Shirley Sherrod and her husband Charles were organizing for the Civil Rights Movement.
13: We um, would encounter people who were being asked to move off the land owned by white farmers if they participated in the movement or tried to exercise their rights in any way.
6: So a group of activists went to Israel to study a kibbutz as a model for providing jobs and homes for displaced families. The idea was shared stewardship of the land. The nonprofit, Trust, borrowed money to purchase a nearly 6,000-acre tract where they grew peanuts, corn, soybeans, and vegetable crops. They also raised pigs and built a smokehouse to sell cured meats from a roadside stand to make money. About 10 families had long-term renewable leases for houses on the land, and dozens of others worked there. It really gave me a sense of, I can do anything. Boomy Anderson and her twin sister, Femi, now 47, grew up as part of new communities. Their parents ran the on-site print shop. Femi Anderson says they learned to be self-reliant, using the farm and associated businesses to sustain one another. You had people who farmed
17: the land, you had people who did, you know, administrative stuff, people who did different
6: things. And I think that's what made it more of a community. The sisters remain involved in the land trust. They say having a stake in the land stuck with them. Boomy Anderson.
5: You know, you're talking about land for African Americans, for anybody. Land is power. Yeah. Land is equity. Land is it's it's, it's, wealth. it's
6: wealth. In rural Doles, Georgia Irma Young-Wilburn shows me a century-old wooden farmhouse that's starting to fall in. This is the, the battle house. This is the, originally the battle farm. The house once belonged to J.N. Battle, a former slave known for amassing a large amount of land after the Civil War.
13: And this is the last 70 acres of it, and we are holding on because we want it to continue to be the legacy of a black old land.
6: In 1910, black farmers owned more than 15 million acres of land. In 2017, that number was down to 4 million, according to the agriculture census. The Lawtons are produce farmers. They get technical assistance from the new community's land trust to improve their irrigation and build a cold storage facility. She was part of the original farm collective 50 years ago. It was empowering. It was unifying. A registered nurse by profession, Lawton says there's an independence in farming, and that's something she thinks new communities can pass down to new generations.
13: Knowing that as black people, we, the way we survived coming out of slavery was our attachment to the land and knowing how to make that land work for us and produce and protect us you know, from starvation and stuff.
6: New Communities Land Trust was almost a failed experiment. They were hit by drought but could not get an emergency loan from the Farmers' Home Administration until it was too late to avoid foreclosure. They lost the farm in 1985. But the story didn't end there because decades later, the trust won a $12 million settlement in the federal government's deal to compensate black farmers for discrimination by the U.S. Department of Agriculture. New communities use the money to buy the plantation it operates today. Back at the farm, Decton Hilton tends to the honeybees. He lights some pine straw in a smoker to keep them calm.
10: This is a new comb that they have just um, built and they are going to be storing honey inside of these cells.
6: Hilton is an agronomist and serves as a technical advisor to new communities. He's encouraging farmers in southwest Georgia to take up beekeeping and look for other ways to increase the money-making potential of their property. He's also trying to stem land loss by encouraging younger generations to keep their family farms.
10: Because it's been um, they, they have been learning from a long time that agriculture is in relation to slavery. And I'm showing them, no, we were doing farming long before slavery.
6: Hilton says new communities' land trusts can play a part in making farming an economic engine for rural development. Debbie Elliott, NPR News, Albany, Georgia.
17: And hey, they telling this dream. Look what they did to Martin Luther, bullet holes and I kings. And they wonder why we never believe. And they wonder why we never believe. Nigga, we poor. Young niggas warned about that corner store, but the chink's on that. And you claiming that's your block, who you think on that? Quicksand in the hood and we gonna sink on that. You should think on that. Poison water out in Flint, they let them little babies drink on that. They don't care about us.
0: Since 2014, Flint, Michigan has been synonymous with tainted water. Five years on, city officials are still struggling to make the water safe for all its residents. John Yang went back to see what's changed and what hasn't.
15: A typical Thursday morning on Flint, Michigan's north side. Cars stretch for a full mile, some in line for more than five hours. The goal of this weekly quest bottled water. Ray Duchamp comes once a month. This crisis started years ago. Yeah. Did you think you'd still be doing this now? No. <laughs> I
4: thought maybe they'd have water clean by now.
15: After the state stopped distributing okay. water last you year, the Greater Holy Temple Church go of God in Christ go. stepped up. Good morning. Patrice Davis, who coordinates the effort, says they start each week with more than 1,700 cases of water and every week, the demand is greater than that supply. How many cars? How many families each Thursday?
14: Uh, we
18: run probably about fifteen to seventeen hundred cars. So you're looking at probably about seven,
5: six to eight hundred families.
15: For more than five years, water has dominated the lives of many in this city, where more than fifty-five percent of residents are black, and more than forty percent live in poverty. In April 2014, state-appointed officials tried to save money by shifting the source from Lake Huron to the Flint River. Here's the Flint. But the river water was more corrosive than the lake water. The city failed to treat it properly, and it damaged Flint's aging pipes, causing lead to leach into the system. The city switched back to lake water in October 2015, but pipe replacement is still ongoing, and so are concerns.
18: It affects the way that we cook, the way that we brush our teeth, the way that, you know, we just use water in general.
15: In 2016, Ariana Hawk's second-oldest son, Sincere, then two years old, was on the cover of Time magazine after developing painful blisters and rashes.
18: His thing was just the fear of the water. Um, Even him as a six-year-old, he still says, like, the water is dangerous. Like, he don't like it. He avoided as much as possible.
15: Despite officials' assurances at the time that the water was safe... Hawk blames herself.
18: I'm his mom. I should have been protective. I should have knew better. I should have I should have been educated more, and this wouldn't have happened.
15: Although her four-year-old daughter, Aliana, doesn't have symptoms, blood tests show she has high lead levels.
18: It's devastating. It's very hard to deal with on a daily basis. It's hard to even just deal with as a parent, because um, sometimes I feel like I could do better. But it's not my fault that the water is like this. It's not something that I asked for. It's not something that I chose for my kids. Um, come
17: on, sisters.
15: Across town, Maxine Onstott's seven-year-old son, Max, was diagnosed with autism in the midst of the crisis.
19: With Max, I can't say that's what caused him to have the disability he has, but he was exposed. We drank it, we bathed in it, we used it every single day, we cooked with it.
15: Max is among the growing number of special education students in Flint Public Schools. Since 2013, before the crisis, it's up 56 percent, according to state figures. A group of Flint parents is suing the school system, saying it is not meeting those students' needs. What would recovery mean for you?
19: Recovery for me would be my city recovering. There's nothing more that anybody can do for me and my family
0: at this point. So the Flint water crisis is really a whole bunch of things.
19: Flint
15: pediatrician Mona hanna Atisha was among the first to sound the alarm about lead in the drinking water.
12: We can't take it away. There's no magic pill. There's no antidote. We can't, we can't press rewind and pretend that this didn't happen.
15: Now she's deeply involved in the recovery effort.
12: We've invested in the critical period of early childhood with home visiting programs and Medicaid expansion, school health services, a massive expansion of early
0: literacy programs. We've turned this crisis into almost this model public health program of of recovery and and hope for the people of Flint.
15: It's a little hope. A project called the Flint Registry tracks the effects of lead exposure and connects residents to those programs.
17: Flint was a thriving city, and it can be a thriving city again, and we're on that road. We're, We're headed that way.
15: Flint Mayor Karen Weaver beat the incumbent at the height of the crisis.
17: We need to get the help that we deserve so we can have a full recovery. And for some, that full recovery, you know, we don't know if it will come. If you've lost a loved one, if you have a child that's been, you know, damaged, you're going to deal with that for the rest of your life.
15: She expressed frustration that this summer criminal charges were dropped against officials, including manslaughter for at least a dozen deaths from Legionnaire's disease, believed linked to the water crisis. The new Michigan Attorney General said her predecessor had botched the investigation, so she was starting all over again.
17: If it had been a shooting, people would be locked up. Well, we had killings that took place here in the city of Flint, and no one has looked at it that way.
15: The city no longer takes its water from the Flint River, and it's begun to replace its lead and galvanized steel water pipes. But rebuilding the shattered public trust is likely to take some time it's a wound that seems to run deep
19: you're supposed to be able to trust these people in power and we were bamboozled by them are you angry
18: oh yeah of course i'm angry i'm 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 more upset and hurt than anger it's hurting because these are the people who we trust every day these are the people who said
17: that this was okay one of the things i did promise was that i would Give them the information, whether it was good news or bad news, because we had bad news that people kept from us, and had they shared that bad news with us, we could have protected ourselves better
15: for residents like Ariana Hawk and Maxi nonstadt. it may be too late i mean it almost sounds like there's some parts that you just don 't think you can recover
19: We wake up, we brush our teeth with bottle water, we drink bottle water. We're out of bottled water. It's packed back up. Let's get in the van and go get some more bottled water. We're still fighting for us to have a, a
18: healthy and safe life. Things in Flint are not better. Nothing has changed for us. This has become our reality, which is not right.
15: A reality for them that no amount of pipe replacement or reassuring words is likely to repair. For the PBS NewsHour, I'm John Yang in Flint, Michigan.
16: Seattle's a great
3: place to visit because it has, I guess you could say a little bit of everything, but I like to think of it as a lot of everything.
16: For decades, the Seattle School District's program for academically gifted students has been dominated by white children. It's had very few students of color, especially black, Latino or native students, represented. But the district is considering making big changes to dismantle what officials say is an institutionally racist structure. KNKX Youth and Education reporter Ashley Gross spoke about it with Morning Edition host Kirsten Kendrick.
20: Ashley, that sounds like pretty strong language for the district to be owning up to, institutional racism in one of its own programs.
21: Yes, district officials spoke pretty candidly at a board work session last week. See, the way the highly capable program in the Seattle School District is set up is that there are these self-contained classrooms in certain schools starting in first grade. Then kids move up together as a cohort. Parents have to refer their kids for testing. The testing takes place on a Saturday. It's a lot of hoops that families have to navigate. And the district has long known that the way students are identified as highly capable is not equitable. A lot of families don't know how to refer their kids or even that the program exists. And it's often privileged white or sometimes Asian families who go to the trouble of getting their kids into the program. So you're saying now that the district is really talking openly about that? Yes. Superintendent Denise Juno spoke very straight about what she says is a racist structure. She says she started realizing it shortly after taking her position and hearing about the segregation at certain schools that have both general education and highly capable classes. For example, Garfield High School.
13: I heard that the students there called it the slave ship or apartheid high. Since that time, I have learned
18: that this is a generational legacy. This program segregation has been endorsed by this district for generations. This is unacceptable
13: and embarrassing. None of us should want to lead this type of educational redlining.
21: Wow. So what's the district saying is the solution to addressing this? Well, they're talking about moving gradually to a system where students attend their neighborhood schools and get advanced coursework there in regular classrooms from teachers who have been trained to differentiate instruction. And they say they need to do a better job of identifying students of color or low-income students who should get academic acceleration And they're talking about, in certain instances, having what they call alternative placements, possibly a self-contained classroom for kids who maybe are both highly capable and qualify for some special education services, or for students who are extremely academically gifted. What has the reaction been so far? People who have worked on this issue say it is the third rail in education. It is very controversial. Wyeth Jesse is a district official who is working on these changes.
7: This topic alone has divided many communities. I've seen parents cry. I've seen whole school communities
2: be divided. And for me, as a former principal uh, and as now the one that leads our schools, I just want to say I hope that we rise above that and that we remind ourselves that we are the leaders of this community um, and that we can engage in it, even when we don't agree.
21: So it is really controversial. Yeah. And the problem is there are a lot of people who don't agree with what the district is proposing and how it's going about it. Why? What are they saying? Well, the district had set up a task force on advanced learning. But even before that group of parents and teachers and community members had voted on their recommendations, the district started presenting ideas to the school board. So some task force members are upset about that. Ji Young-um is a parent of a student designated as highly capable. She's on the task force. She sends her daughter to their neighborhood school in southeast Seattle because she wanted her to go to a more racially diverse school. But she and some other parents of color on the task force say they prefer the current self-contained model. But what needs to change is that the district needs to have universal screening and other identification methods to make sure that kids of different racial groups have equitable access. Here's Ji Young-um.
17: There are, again, a number of us who felt that, well, why aren't we even talking about possibility of or the option of how do we make the cohort more accessible? How do we increase representation of African-American students, Latinx students, Native Islander students, et cetera?
21: The task force still has some more meetings ahead. But meanwhile, the district has said it plans to bring forward some policy changes next month to the school board. Well, this is certainly a controversial and complex issue, Ashley. Thanks for your reporting on this. You're welcome, Kirsten.
22: This the city of Chicago.
21: Walter Payton High School is often named
6: as the best high school in Chicago, the state, and even the nation. It was created in part to comply with a court order that called for Chicago public schools to integrate as many schools as possible. But a decade after that court order was lifted, the school has been grappling with a number of disturbing racial incidents as its population of black students decreased dramatically. The story from WBEZ's Sarah Karp.
23: Dear faculty, This letter was written by a teacher at Peyton last year. She sent it out to her colleagues and all students.
0: Today, two black students showed up at my door, and I knew what they were going to say. I knew that they had been called the N-word.
23: She says it wasn't the first time she's heard that.
0: In the six years I have been in the Peyton community, students have made videos of themselves throwing bananas at black students in the cafeteria changed their name to the N-word on a cahoot in class and recorded themselves repeatedly calling a black child the N-word at school.
23: A parent shared this letter with WBZ, and the teacher has declined to say more about it. But she writes that her letter is meant to be a call to action. She writes, How many of us understand what a black senior said to me today? That Peyton does not take enough risks to protect black students. That Payton has become such an unwelcoming place for some black students is shocking. But it comes as Payton and most of the other top testing schools in Chicago have become more white and more elite. Today, only 11% of the students at Payton are black, and about 44% are white. The result is that some students walk into the school in the heart of Chicago's near north side and suddenly feel like they're on an island. That's how Kapahano Muhammad felt when she started in 2014. Whoa, there's a lot of white people. I had never been in a predominantly white environment like that. Muhammad says her mother was ecstatic that she got an in and insisted she attend. After all, Peyton is in a pristine building and offers a long list of challenging classes and clubs. And it not only gets extra money for being a test in school, but also has parents who raise hundreds of thousands of dollars. Going into high school, Muhammad said she wanted to make friends and fit in. But by sophomore year, she says she faced racist and lewd comments. One time she says she got slapped in the back of the head, and the student responded that he didn't think it would hurt because of her afro. And when she told the administration, she says she and the other students were brought into a talking circle. It was really like a slap on the wrist for them, and because there was no actual consequences like they didn't get
12: detention i don't think it went on anybody's record or anything a lot a lot of them go to
23: IVS and like go to go to really elite schools and just continue their life muhammad transferred out of the school her sophomore year she says she felt relieved payton's principal tim devine says he's well aware of the concerns brought up by the teacher and by muhammad he says he does what he can
24: we absolutely unconditionally address the issue to the fullest extent that the Board of Education will allow through the Student Code of Conduct. Oftentimes there's discipline, uh, significant discipline, but there's also significant restorative practice.
23: Restorative practices means things like talking circles where victims explain the harm done to them. But Press Divine admits sometimes he wishes he was able to do more.
25: For
24: a school system as dynamic and diverse as ours. The Student Code of Conduct does not authorize principals and other administrators to truly engage in the level of discipline that is necessary, whether it's detentions or suspensions or expulsions.
23: Mostly, he says he's focused on doing everything he can to get students to be accepting and kind. He admits it can be a challenge.
24: So citywide schools such as Peyton, we're taking students who have primarily grown up their entirety of their lives in homogenized space. And then they come freshman year into this magic place that is Peyton And uh, we, we really try to prioritize that shift and what that shift uh, of heart and mind would mean for that child.
23: Devine says they start talking to freshmen about identity and values the summer before they start, and they continue these discussions in homeroom and in classes. He also tries to hire teachers of color and ones that can prove they know how to deal with these difficult issues. This year, the school is offering a seminar on interrogating whiteness led by four white teachers. It's important to remember, though, that Peyton was not always as it is today. In the beginning, it was roughly a third white, a third Latino, and a third black about 7% of the students were Asian. Sam Dyson was one of the founding teachers. He says when it opened in 2000, there was a lot of hope around it. Being named after the deeply loved football player Walter Payton sent a message.
24: Reflecting the value and life and uh, reverence Pokes had for Walter Payton himself, uh, but also reflecting the possibility of something new and different.
23: The neighborhood was also different than it is today. Back then, the Caprini Green housing projects were still standing. Peyton, being new, didn't have a reputation, so the parents who sent their children there were taking a bit of a risk.
24: Families who wanted a different kind of experience, and a big part of that was the sense that we were creating a community out of a city, that people were coming from all over, and uh, that there was going to be diversity as a core value.
23: Principal Devine says that diversity is still a core value, and there's still kids from all over the city. But he admits that something has been lost with fewer black students. It's not just that the black students don't have much of a community. It's more that so few black students get what Peyton offers, a world-class education. Sarah Karp, WBZ News. The public school. We call it the killing fields.
2: A bus monitor accused of not intervening in a racially motivated attack involving children on a school bus in Governor has pleaded not guilty. 28-year-old Tiffany Spicer was charged with endangering the welfare of a child after the incident last month. According to police who reviewed video footage, Spicer allegedly watched as a 10- and an 11-year-old white girl physically and verbally assaulted a 10-year-old African-American girl. She reportedly told the girls to take a chill pill but didn't stop them. The state is investigating the incident as a hate crime. The local school district and residents are struggling to come to terms with an incident that brings issues of race to the forefront in a mostly white community. As Fernando Nauro reports... Coming up with answers or potential solutions
25: isn't easy. Inside the Governor McDonald's, Michelle is having a breakfast burrito. Michelle has a biracial son, and she says the incident was not surprising. We're not using her full name to protect her son's identity. She says her son has been subject to harassment from other kids because his father is Mexican.
14: I have a mother of a child, one child of color, And he's had lots of problems being called a burnt chicken nugget. Kids saying that um, he can't run fast enough because he's not close enough to the border. Um, Just little rude comments like that coming from his, his peers. So obviously, these two girls are his peers as well. Obviously, they don't have enough information being taught to them to know that this stuff's not okay.
25: But for Michelle, the school bus incident stirs mixed feelings. She says she's uncomfortable with charging children with a hate crime. She blames the bus monitor and the driver for not intervening.
14: They're children, and the thing that we're forgetting is that they're 10 and 11. They have children minds still. They don't think like adults. Should she be punished? 100%. What she did was wrong? Absolutely. But it could have been stopped, And and that's... And it wasn't. It wasn't stopped at all.
25: Dev also lives in Governor. She asked NCPR not to use her last name for personal reasons. She says the school bus attack is not representative of her community. But the fact that children could do this troubles her.
13: It's really not us. I don't kids will be kids, I understand, but they gotta realize the jeopardy that you know jeopardizing the other children and the school bus.
25: And that's one of the lessons that the school is trying to teach. Inside the halls of Governor Middle School, you can see poster after poster with anti-bullying messages. Hundreds of students see them every day. Some of them stop and take a peek. Others simply walk past them.
12: This is something bigger and more traumatic than has ever happened here in the middle school before. And it not only affects the kids that are within the building, but also the community outside of our building.
25: Jessica Sullivan is the school's principal. She says she wants to turn this incident into something more than just a learning experience. Character building. Each month, the school focuses on a different trait to ingrain in their students.
12: After this event occurred, we we did decide that one of the things that we were going to do to respond to this as a building was move tolerance to the trait of October. So we can really focus on teaching our kids what tolerance is about and accepting accepting people for their differences.
25: Lauren French is the school district superintendent. She says the district is sending a serious message to the whole school.
0: This is not a joke. We need to have them understand and to teach them that there are no takebacks. You you can't undo something that hurt a child's mind or heart or emotional standing. It, It just can't be undone by looking at them and saying, well, I was just joking about it, because this is not joking material.
25: French says the district is working to make sure students have access to counselors. They're also in talks with the anti-defamation League a civil rights organization to ask for specific trainings on fighting bullying and intolerance
5: the adult
0: population in this particular building has rallied around the understanding that it's incumbent upon us as the adults to take a very strong stance a very strong step forward and to just model our expectations a hundred percent of the time
25: Back at McDonald's, Michelle, the mother of a biracial kid, says she thinks it's a good idea for the school to have these kinds of activities planned. But she also says adults should take some of the blame for how children behave.
14: We create them, and if, that, if they are out there being charged with a hate crime because of saying an N-word to somebody, we should feel shame of ourselves. We are the adults in the situation.
25: She says when children use violent behavior and racist language... They probably learned it from an adult. And that's something a school assembly or a classroom conversation probably cannot fix. For North Country Public Radio in Governor, I'm Fernando Narro with additional reporting from Monica Sandresky.
0: More than half the children in American schools are students of color, but their teachers are overwhelmingly white. Wow!
22: Hey, yo, drama! Hold up, sir. hold on, hold, on,
10: hold on. Stop the motherfucking record. Right. Be clear. Their teachers are overwhelmingly white women. PBS is flagrantly practicing white supremacy racism, in my view, because it has been widely noted for a long period of time. That white women dominate the classroom. We're talking 70% of the educators in classrooms in the United States. White women. White women are clogging the what they call school to prison pipeline with black boys. That is white women. Be specific.
1: I want you to Pondy replay drama.
4: Pondy replay. <laughs> <laughs> Give them one more chance, man. Run that shit the fuck back.
0: More than half the children in American schools are students of color, but their teachers are overwhelmingly white. In tonight's brief but spectacular, we hear from an African American biomedical engineer on why it's so important to see ourselves in front of the classroom. I had this really powerful experience when
12: I was a graduate student. I was attending one of my first major conferences. There was a black woman who was a speaker. And at the end of the session, I actually stood up, and I said, I have attended two Ivy League institutions. I've studied physics and engineering. And this is the first time I've ever been in a room where the speaker was a black woman. And I let it soak in to the thousands of people standing behind me. (laughs) Until that moment, I had never realized that I'd never had someone who looked like me teaching me. I've always thought seeing is believing. I wanted to build optical instruments to be able to see into the body, and that's why I decided to do biomedical engineering, and I actually did build microscopes to image how cancer spreads through the body. I started to see the role of the immune cells in that process, and thinking of how I can use those immune cells to target the cancer cells in a way more effective way than just inserting drugs directly into the bloodstream. Immune cells travel through our body They have their own specialized networks. They go to places of disease. My thought here is that they're already going to places of disease. Why not add an extra passenger? Why not add a drug and attach it to the immune cells and then let them do what they normally do? I thought, this can be used not just for cancer, but it can be used for other diseases as well. When we first made this discovery, we were very excited. We had over 700 articles from our first publication on this work. I would get emails from people and they would say, I've never seen a black woman in a lab coat being pictured as having contributed to a major discovery. I would have my little cousins when they saw me say, I want to write about you for Black History Month. When I am most personable, my students are also able to open up and talk about themselves. And I'm contributing to a generation of Not only people who might be scientists, but also people who go out into the world and take on many different disciplines. And I'm encouraging them to also be their whole selves in their fields. And so I find that to be very powerful. Challenging, but also powerful. I'm Dr. Elizabeth Wayne, and this is my Brief But Spectacular take on the power of images in science and life.
26: Trent's Freedom Walk. His formal name is Larry Trent Roberts. But most people know him as Trent. Since 2007, most of those who knew him were Pennsylvania prisoners. For since then, Trent was doing a life sentence following a murder conviction for the 2005 killing of 26-year-old Duan Wubb Stern while he sat in his car at 20th and Swatara Streets, Harrisburg. In 2017... Local judge Scott A. Evans found evidence was withheld from Trent's defense lawyer, and a new trial was ordered. In early September, that trial got underway, and after six days, the jury deliberated and returned a verdict of not guilty. After 13 years in prison, Trent left a Dauphin County courtroom to return to his family. In the courtroom, his mother and other family and friends wept with joy at his acquittal. Outside the Harrisburg Courthouse, Trent told one reporter, there is nothing worse than being innocent in jail. From Imprisoned Nation, this is Mumia Abu-Jamal.
10: The Man Knot. Race Class, genre, and the dilemmas of black manhood.
2: A man spent 27 years in prison on a wrongful conviction. Then he won $1 million for every year he lost. But it's not the money he cares about. From New England Public Radio, Karen Brown reports
16: Mark Shand is used to bad news in court. So that made last month's verdict that much more surprising. He remembers it word for word from the moment the judge read the decision.
27: He handed it to the clerk and they said, "Um, on the charges of conspiracy, how do you read? They said, we we read in favor for Mark Shan. They said, on the charges of malicious prosecution.
16: This is meant to be one more step in righting a massive wrong. At 21, Shand was convicted of a 1986 nightclub shooting in Springfield, Massachusetts, that killed a bystander. He spent almost three decades in prison. In 2013, a judge considered new evidence that testimony in his trial was false and let him go. Shand later sued four Springfield police officers, now retired, for violating his civil rights.
27: And then the judge asked him what was the award. And uh, they said $27,127,000. You know, and that was it. Everybody started crying and all that kind of stuff.
16: For Shand, the verdict is less about money and all about vindication. He got no help from the government after he was released. He had to fight the state of Massachusetts for years for a few hundred thousand dollars in compensation, which helped him open a smoothie cafe. But even then, no one apologized.
27: After all of this time, this was the first time there was some acknowledgement that someone done something, you know, in my wrongful conviction, someone was responsible for it. You know, that was almost better than the monetary damages, you know what I mean?
16: But the award is significant. Fewer than half of all exonerees in the last 30 years have even filed a civil lawsuit, according to the Public Justice Advocacy Clinic at George Washington University. Only half of those plaintiffs have won And while some got awards in the millions, the average is around $300,000. Rebecca Brown is with the Innocence Project.
28: Civil damages certainly
19: don't come easy for any exonerated person. And then we've seen a large range in those civil
16: damages. Mark Shan says he's not counting on any of the money. A lawyer for the city says it's considering an appeal and state law limits the city's liability to $1 million per officer. Shand's attorneys say the legal process is likely to last another couple years, and Shand is dreading any more time in a courtroom. Even winning, he says, brings back painful memories.
27: Just to hear them, you know, accusing me of stuff again, that, that was really hard. I just want some dust to grow in this thing. I want to get it behind me.
16: That means focusing on his smoothie business and one day walking down the street without anyone asking about his case. For NPR News, I'm Karen Brown.
4: White people kill
16: for fun. Now we're going to turn to a story
18: that may be disturbing to some listeners. A century ago, white mobs killed hundreds of African-American sharecroppers and family members.
10: Pause right there. Uh, The cows, one of the points that I make on a regular basis is that these types of terrorist attacks Uh, There have been well over 250 of them. We've talked about this repeatedly. Uh, Elliot Jaspin's buried in the bitter waters. He was a guest on the program in 2010. Many other examples. One of the key points in all of that and in James Lowen's sundown towns is that many times in these white terrorist events, the total number of casualties is unknown. Now, specifically, Michelle Martin, she's a black female journalist, does outstanding work. But in this instance, she said hundreds. We don't know. It could be it was a thousand. It could be more than that. We don't know. Now, even if it was, let's say, two thousand or a thousand, that would still be hundreds. But there's a difference in you hearing hundreds and you hearing that it could have been over a thousand people. It could have been two thousand black people. And I say it could have because Just reading the report at the New York Times, I shared it today on social media, but they give some of the graphic details, uh, which include uh, that this went on for days. This lasted for almost a week, uh, where the governor, uh, you had uh, armed, trained soldiers uh, who were called in by the hundreds. Uh, You had white vigilantes uh, who came in from all over the region uh, to take advantage and make this an opportunity to kill black people. So the New York Times uh, they write enforcement officials, soldiers and vigilantes hunted black people over a 200 mile radius. They scorched and burned homes with families inside, slaughtered and tortured others. The troops were aided by seven machine guns. Now does that, if that sort of environment went on for almost a week do you think it's possible that that could be a thousand black people got killed 1500 black people got healed, killed killed 2000 black people got ki- how many would we be talking about with that type of artillery and kill as many Negroes as you like for the week continuing
18: a century ago, white mobs killed hundreds of African American sharecroppers and family members in their homes and on cotton fields surrounding Elaine, Arkansas. This weekend, residents are gathering around Arkansas to remember one of the deadliest and least known racial conflicts in U.S. history. Jacqueline Froelich of member station KUAF
20: reports. Members of the Divine Deliverance Christian Ministry in the tiny farming town of Elaine sing on a recent Sunday morning. Sweet. A hundred years ago, a shootout between local white law enforcement and armed African-American guards protecting a sharecropper's union meeting triggered a race massacre here. In the following days, as many as a 1,000 white civilians and militia fearing a black insurrection swarmed the Elaine area, killing black men, women, and children. Sheila Walker's grandmother, who survived, was an eyewitness. She says... There were shots fired, there were people dying in front of me,
18: and I just gathered up some children and we got out through the back and ran into the woods. And she just goes into hysterics.
20: No white people were arrested. Of 285 African-American men and women taken into custody, almost half were charged with murder and night riding, akin to terrorism, 12 were sentenced to die. The NAACP intervened, and the case went to the U.S. Supreme Court. In a precedent-setting decision, justices ruled the defendants were denied due process and equal protection under the 14th Amendment and set free. Poet J. Chester Johnson, who's white, says he had no idea growing up that his beloved maternal grandfather participated in the massacre.
15: I kept looking for that moment where I could reconcile this person that I adored and he adored me, with his
8: participation in this massacre. And it never happened.
20: Five white bodies were recovered, but black bodies have long been rumored to be buried in mass graves or sunk into swamps. Brian Mitchell teaches history at the University of Arkansas at Little Rock.
25: We have lots of sources that maintain that more than 100 individuals were killed. But on the other side of the spectrum, there are numbers as large as 850.
20: Guy Lancaster, editor of the Encyclopedia of Arkansas, says the Elaine conflict was the result of pent-up frustration to centuries of black exploitation.
8: At the end of slavery throughout the South, African Americans achieved a modicum of political and economic power and self-sufficiency. As reconstruction efforts were withdrawn, African American communities were targeted with legal segregation and legal sanctions. And so by the time of the early 20th century, this violence was reaching an apex.
20: A somber interpretive monument's being dedicated today in Helena, as well as memorial events in Elaine, where descendant Clarice Abdul-Bey will be.
21: We couldn't afford to have nervous breakdowns, and many of us did. But there was a lot of us that had to push on and had to keep going.
20: She and her husband want a Memorial Trail to mark where 280 lynchings and more than a dozen other race riots also occurred in Arkansas. For NPR News, I'm Jacqueline Froelich in Fayetteville.
2: A couple of questions, Gus. Yes, sir. me um, asking you guys. <clears throat> um, what's going on with the, um, you know, that police woman who decided to break into, well, she found herself in that, uh, in that black man's uh, apartment, and she decided to shoot him. What, 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 what happened? What's going on with that? For the Dallas Morning News, I'm Christopher Wynn. This is part 13 of a special report, The Death of Botham Jean, Amber Geiger on Trial. Catch up on our previous episodes by searching for the Dallas Morning News in your preferred podcast player and hitting subscribe.
18: The jury, having reached a verdict, I will now uh, announce it. We, the jury, find unanimously that the defendant did not cause the death of Botham John while under the immediate influence of sudden passion arising from an adequate cause and assess the defendant's punishment at 10 years' imprisonment in the Texas Department of Criminal Justice. In addition, we assess a fine of $0, and it's signed by the presiding juror. Would you like
27: to have the jury poll? Yeah,
2: yeah. For the fatal shooting of Botham John on September 6, 2018, Amber Geiger faced between 5 and 99 years, or life, in prison, but received 10. The sentence caused stunned reactions outside the courtroom, but all of that pelled compared to what happened inside the courtroom. Jennifer Emily has been covering the Geiger trial for the Dallas Morning News from day one. She was, of course, in the courtroom Wednesday when this all went down, and now she's back to the studio with me to talk about it. Hi, Jen. Hello. So, yesterday was just remarkable on many levels, but let's start with the sentencing. What was the reaction in the room when Geiger's punishment was announced? And as someone who's covered a lot of trials in her career, what did you make of it?
3: Well, it was a sentence that no one on either side seemed to be happy with. For a bit, no one really reacted. And then two jurors began to cry. Everyone in the galley just sat there for a while. After Kemp dismissed the jury, Geiger's family filed silently out of the courtroom. Then Botham Jean's sister, Alyssa Finley, slumped forward and began to sob. Her grandmother rubbed her back and tried to calm her. As for my thoughts, I'm still trying to process it all. I've been writing about this case for more than a year, since Jean was killed in his apartment. I've never seen a trial like this one.
2: Jen, it's not often that juries convict police officers of murder, although it's now happened three times here in Dallas County in the last few years. Why do you think the jury convicted Geiger?
3: I've learned to never predict what a jury might do or guess why they did something. But I can tell you what evidence stood out for me. When the lead prosecutor, Jason Hermes, cross-examined Geiger during the guilt-innocence phase of her trial, I learned something I hadn't expected. Geiger agreed with Hermes when he asked her if she made the decision to take out the threat before she ever opened Jeanne's door. The door opened when she put her key in because the latch had malfunctioned. Geiger's defense was that she thought she was in her own apartment and that she had to defend herself because she thought Jean was a burglar, even though she was ultimately wrong. There's no duty to retreat in Texas if you are acting in self-defense, but since the jury had to decide if... Geiger's actions were reasonable, it's possible they thought that pushing the door open all the way was unreasonable.
2: You know, my understanding also is that the jury considered but rejected something called sudden passion, which could have dramatically reduced Geiger's sentence. So what does sudden passion mean and why do you think
3: they didn't go for it? Well, sudden passion means that the victim did something to provoke the killer and that the killer reacted in an instant to that provocation. The best example of this is coming home and finding your spouse or your partner in bed with someone else and shooting them in the heat of the moment. If a jury finds a killer acted with sudden passion, it reduces the possible sentence from five years to life to the penalty for a manslaughter conviction. That's two to twenty years in prison. In this case, even though the jury sentenced Geiger to ten years in prison, they rejected the idea that Jean was in any way responsible for Geiger shooting him.
2: I'm curious could you hear a reaction out in the hallway when the sentence was announced?
3: You certainly could. As word of the sentence trickled out, I could hear activists shouting, no justice, no peace, over and over. It was a contrast to inside the courtroom, where it was quiet except for a few tears. Many people had already left. It should 25 to 99. There is no justice for a man like
5: to
18: be taken, and she get 10 years. There's no
2: So Jen, I want to ask you about a stunning moment yesterday that everybody is still talking about. The hug. We have video of it up on our website at dallasnews.com. Most of the national network news shows have played this clip as well. You saw it unfold live. What happened?
3: It was unexpected to say the least. Sean's brother, Brant, is 18 years old and he didn't testify during the trial. He made what is called a victim impact statement. It's a chance for victims or families to say whatever they want. Well, anything but threats or profanity. It isn't usually part of the official court proceeding. Brant's words were stunning. His mother, Alison Jean, told me that out of all the family members, Brant is struggling the most to cope with his big brother's death. He doesn't like to talk about it. He said from the witness stand that his family didn't know what he was going to say, that he spoke only for himself, not for them. But then he showed the world this act of forgiveness, an act to hug the woman who killed his brother.
22: And I, I wasn't gonna ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you. Because I know that's what that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. I don't know if this is possible, but can, can I give her a hug, please? Please.
3: Yes.
2: And incredibly that wasn't the only unexpected hug in the courtroom.
3: Yes, the judge. It's a moment that would never have happened without Brant Jean's words and his embrace of Geiger. After hugging both of Jean's family. Judge Tammy Kemp walked over and stood in front of Geiger. Then, still wearing her black robe, she crouched down and gave Geiger her Bible. This was visible to all those watching on the internet, but there was no sound. I was still in court and got a little closer so I could hear. I never heard what Geiger said to the judge, but I could hear some of what Kemp said to her. Kemp read a verse from the Bible. It was John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Then Geiger leapt up and hugged the judge. Kemp was clearly taken aback and unsure what to do. Then she returned the embrace. I couldn't hear everything Kemp said, but I did hear her tell Geiger, Ma'am, it's not because I am good. It's because I believe in Christ. None of us are worthy. Then she told Geiger, forgive yourself.
2: Wow. And... I guess my question is, how unusual is it for a judge to embrace someone who's just been sentenced for a serious crime? I was huddled with some of our colleagues in the newsroom when it happened, and I saw it on the live feed, and we were all really struck by it.
3: It's something I've never seen before. I have seen judges wish defendants a heartfelt good luck or offer words of encouragement. But like everything else in this case, nothing is what you expect.
2: Jen, thank you for your reporting.
3: Thank you. The singer and
16: actress Diane Carroll was as famous for her elegance as she was for her acting and her voice. She died today at her home in Los Angeles from complications of breast cancer. She was 84. NPR's Karen Grigsby-Bates has this appreciation.
0: If you're of a certain age and love Broadway, you might recall Diane Carroll as the ingenue who co-starred in the 1961 musical drama No Strings, where she won a Tony.
12: The sweetest sounds I'll ever hear are still inside my head. The kindest words I'll
0: ever know are waiting to. If you watched TV in the late 60s, you might remember her as Julia, a widowed single mother, a nurse who worked for a cranky doctor. It was a pioneering role. Until Julia, black women normally showed up as maids or nannies on TV. Julia was a popular show. Black America was happy to be visible, white America was happy to see racial harmony on screen. But in an interview with the Television Academy, Carol remembers the tension around the show's debut. Everyone was on the line and everyone was scared because um, we were saying to the country, we're going to present a very upper middle class black woman raising her child and her major concentration will not be about suffering in the ghetto. Which is not to say Carol couldn't do ghetto. She got an Oscar nomination for her role in 1974's Claudine, a movie about a loving but stressed single welfare mother who finds romance with a garbage man.
23: This man may be bringing things into your home which you may not be deducting. Now, you know I have to deduct you on those things. What things? What things, damn it? You have a man come over for dinner, he
29: brings you a bottle of wine. I have a man come over for dinner, he brings me a damn six-pack. Oh, there are two left, Mr. Kayback. Would you like a beer? In
0: an interview with the NVLP Oral History archive, Carol says she had to twist arms to be considered for the role. Many thought she was too glossy to be cast, and she pushed back hard. Why wouldn't I understand welfare children and mothers? I was raised in a community that had welfare children and mothers. I don't want you to ever narrow my striving to become more in the industry by saying there's only one thing i can do she was born to perform six-year-old carol diane johnson was part of the children's choir at harlem's famed abyssinian baptist church and her voice stood out later she'd earn a place at the city's music and art high school she changed her name to diane carol when she entered a television talent show in high school and won first prize she continued to sing wherever she could Looking to project a new maturity, she became a glamorous cabaret singer. And she sang almost her entire life through Four Husbands and One Tumultuous Affair with Sidney Poitier that lasted almost a decade. Toward the end of her career, Carol decided she wanted to have a little fun. I called my my manager at the time and I said, I think... That I would like to play the first black bitch on television. As Dominique Devereux, she shone and snarked her way through Dynasty, a popular nighttime soap about a Denver oil family. Here, she faces off with her screen nemesis, Joan Collins. It's burned. Is it? If the champagne is too burned for your taste, Miss Devereux, don't drink it. The caviar, I trust, is not burned. I really wouldn't know. This is Asitrova, and I prefer Petrosian Beluga. Such elegant shade. She will be missed. Karen Grigsby-Bates, NPR News.
10: Context of white supremacy. <clears throat> Reading is more important than watching television. Whew. Reading is more important than watching television. The cow's compensatory call-in. Our weekly broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date, Saturday, October 5, 2019. So I have been told. So I have been told. Gus T. Renegade, your host. Uh, Respect. Acknowledgement uh, for the passing of victim of white supremacy, Diane Carroll. Victim of white supremacy. Uh, however, I will say it's been curious looking at the reports about her death. I posted uh, she has a pretty extensive body of work in, tem- in terms of television and film. Uh, Julia, people talk about that. We've talked about that before and some of the other many films that she's been in. Uh, I suggested that people uh, check out the 1967 classic Hurry Sundown. Uh, one of our investors pointed that film out some years ago, and I checked it out. It is all about white supremacy, racism. Wow. You can learn quite a bit. Racist children, racist women, racist men. Wow. You can learn. And Diane Carroll, right there uh, in the middle of the performance. And even though the movie is set in Georgia, it was actually filmed in Louisiana, and there are reports that whites terrorized the cast and crew of hurry sundown and this is a year before dr king was assassinated so diane carroll probably could have been killed making this movie there reports that they left some sort of bomb uh on the set surprise anywho uh, i'm even with all of that i'm still perplexed processing the information i've seen related to her death uh I'll hush and just read the title. The Washington Post yesterday, they had a report by Bethany Butler uh, titled, Without Diane Carroll, We Wouldn't Have Olivia Pope. I don't know how you feel about scandal, but a primetime television program featuring a black female being sexually sewered by a number of different white men and they even had an episode where she was in shackles i didn't necessarily think that that was constructive uh, or anything that i was pleased about uh this being a, a weekly fixture for almost a decade on primetime television i thought that was just more the same trashing trashiness uh with regards to the system of white supremacy and trashing black people in the process uh but They've had a lot of features uh, on Diane Carroll's career and the different roles that she had. Even when I hear Julia, a black female, husband died, she's got these children and a job, no male. Like, that seems so consistent in the system of white supremacy. And I think there were a lot of critiques of that show in that time period uh, for that. But the Dallas role, I read that in the reports. I'm not old enough that I grew up, you know, watching Dallas. Uh, But reading in the reports... And seeing and then to hear her actually say that, that she wanted to be the first black bitch on television. And that becomes like your signature role. I mean, that's the role that they talk about a lot in what's been written. This and Julia like, wow, Olivia Pope. First black bitch on television. Hmm. Reading is more important than watching television victim of white supremacy. Diane Carroll. Check out uh Hurry Sundown. That one is constructive. I did not know about the affair with Sidney Portier. That'd be a cowbell there, but wowie. Uh next, many things to cover. We'll try to get uh as many as possible before we get to the folks who dialed in with questions, suggestions, or comments. If you would like to participate, that number six zero five three one three five one Six four, the code five six four nine four three pound press star six one, if you would like to participate. As I said, many things to discuss before we get to it. We had several folks. Uh, I think Mhandisi called in and asked on the program last week, and we had folks email as well. Uh, is it possible? I set the deadline for last month, mid September. Gave a bit of an extension is it possible you can work with us is it possible you can make the retreat uh, a little more accessible figure out something with the pricing i certainly recognize system of white supremacy that uh 925 is a lot housing is so difficult getting a lodging for 12 13 people uh for three four days to have beds first time with the retreat everybody didn't or I didn't even have a bed. We had air mattresses, not quite the same thing as having a bed. That was something that I wanted so that we could get quality rest. Uh, So I really worked aggressively over the last week to see if I could find cheaper lodging in the same location with everything that we had at the spot I was looking at before. And I think I did succeed. Uh, So with the cheaper accommodations where we still all have a bed, it'll still be right next to the Orlando airport. We'll still have a pool, still have lots of room for veggie cooking and yoga, counter-racist workshops, can drop the price to $730 down from 925. So basically chopping $200 off, being able to look aggressively to see if I could find uh, cheaper lodging. Uh, looks like I succeeded. I wanna try and uh, nab it uh, before it gets booked. Uh, for all of the folks who booked already, it just means that the second deposit will be cheaper. Uh, for folks who wanted to see if we could find something to make it more accessible. There you go. Knocking off 200 bucks. Same uh, features. It would still be December 28th to January 1. Uh, still right there next to the airport in Orlando, Florida. Still doing yoga every day. Plant-based meals. Nothing from McDonald's. Uh, And counter-racist workshops, food workshops included. Uh, Don't know if I've emphasized that enough, but we are doing food workshops. Chef Nadir will show uh, how to get some veggies prepared uh, so that they will be tasty and healthy. No compromise either way, Uh, but the same dates uh, and $200 cheaper. Uh, If you have questions, need additional information, drop an email at com, And we will give folks two weeks to think about it. At the end of that two weeks, that would be October 19th, unless I'm in error, Uh, October 19th, first deposit, and then we'll just split it in half, make it super easy uh, for everyone. But if you have questions, need additional details, let me know. Looking forward to getting down with the retreat and hopefully making it more accessible uh, so that folks can come hang out, do some yoga, exercise, eat well, feel better, and be refreshed with a constructive outlook for 2020. justice at gmail.com. Questions for the retreat? I'll update the information on the blog post today. Send that out again. You can let me know what you think. Next on the list. The school white supremacy racism in Chicago at Walter Payton School. Walter Payton School. They said they wanted people to think of Walter Payton as a magic place. And I didn't I don't know what that means. I guess I could have said this later when I get to the prompt about no metaphors, but a magic place. What does that mean? Do we have magic negros? Uh Here's it magic because there are niggers here. Like what what exactly uh, does that mean? Uh, and they said that as Walter Payton, the school got more white, it got more elite. That is not by coincidence. That is not happenstance. That is the system of white supremacy. And it certainly does not mean individuals classified as white are automatically brilliant. What it means is, oh, we have got fewer Negroes here. Oh, we will make sure that we have quality teaching, quality resources so that these young lads can grow up next generation of racist man, racist woman. Mayor Daley can't rule forever in Chicago. Uh, They said uh, that they wanted to teach tolerance. Words are important. This is the compensatory call-in. A major aspect of counter-racism is being mindful of words. That word tolerant, uh, I don't know if it's in the word guide or not. I don't have to look, but uh, I never use that term. You do not tolerate white supremacy racism. You do not tolerate Negras, You replace white supremacy with justice. Uh, I mean, even just listening to the way that it was used, that we want to teach our children to tolerate difference. And the others, yes, it's a nigra, I know. Look at all that. The niggerness, the blackness. But we tolerate. We don't call them coon, at least not publicly. We'll tolerate them while they're here. Just... The, let's see. They had the report about the young children when they went to uh, governor. A lot of reports on white supremacy, racism in the schools I had the one with uh, Chicago, Seattle. Gouverneur, uh New York. I'd never even heard of that uh, area of New York before when they got to that one. And they said that these young students, they had the young white uh, girls uh, who terrorized this black female. And then they were talking about the white supremacist culture in general. And they said that some of the young white students uh, that they would call some of the non-white students, uh, so-called Mexicans, they would call them chicken nugget. I don't even know the racial uh, connotation of that one. If somebody can explain, I would be appreciated. I'm still learning. Uh, but calling a non-white person chicken nugget, a so-called Mexican a chicken nugget. what I don't even. And the next one, they said they told them that if you were closer to the border, you could run faster. Now, one idiot has an affinity for racist jokes and has talked about that for years and said that white people, that's one of the few times when they're being honest and That is one of the ways that they transmit the values, the mores, the duties of racist man, racist woman, what it means to be white. And then you have these young children. They already got their C.K. Lewis routine down. Give you a good 10 minute stand up routine with nigger jokes and racial slurs. We got it covered. No problem. Come to the high school comedy hour. That is not ignorance. That's the way that they tried to explain it, that they haven't been taught right. Wrong. When Mr. Fuller, when he says, uh, I can't put an age on it, but by the time the average, you know, young white teen, you know, they pretty much got it down by the time that they got to high school. (laughs) That's what it sounds like. We got it. Reading, writing, rhythm— or excuse me, reading, writing, and racism. We got it. Don't even worry about it. We are not ignorant. Anybody is ignorant about white supremacy, racism. It is the negros. Not us. Got some more racist jokes if you want to hear them. Uh, Let's see. Uh, So much to say about the situation with Amber Geiger. I'll start with a listener. Uh, On my Facebook page, facebook.com, the problem is white people. Uh, Once all the hubbub came out, the, the guilty verdict and the sentence this week, many people posted about this case. Victim of racism. She writes. Maybe this will serve to dispel a measure of confusion for black people that helped me tremendously. And this was in response to seeing I'll read the post. It says the Dallas Police Association PAC proudly endorses judge or excuse me, Tammy Kemp, district judge of the 204th judicial district. This is the black female who was the judge in the uh, Amber Geiger case. Uh, So the Dallas Police Association PAC, they proudly endorse her and so uh, one of our listeners investor she said that this helped clear up some of her confusion so I ask a question I say well what confusion did it help eliminate for you she was kind enough to respond she answered she said Gus T it's not uncommon for confused victims of racism to have undeserving sympathy for whites in this case for me I was stuck on why is this happening at this level because it's way beyond all these fluffy feelings folks are talking about. But the endorsement by the race soldiers helped answer that question. This is racism in areas five, six, and seven. I could be in error. Bravo. I thanked her for answering the question. And looking at her assessment, the fact that she got uh, Judge Kemp got this endorsement, Uh, So close to the trial concluding this Amber Geiger trial, which got so much international attention. We had people uh, in England calling the program and asking for updates about this case. Uh, That people paying attention to this, I could totally see race soldiers saying, oh, we're going to be watching this case, too. And you can, you know, do the correct thing. Behave be you know a well-behaved nigra in this and you know hey maybe we'll endorse and you know good things can come now if you want to get in there and you know decide you want to hand out some sort of 99 year sentence or something like that or you know things don't go well well then hey pfft, maybe we don't endorse and i don't know having enforcement officials who do not think kindly of you might not be so cool for you to live in that sort of town but Maybe we won't even have to discuss that. You have a great trial and we'll see you after it's all over, Judge Kemp. I could totally see that sort of scenario playing out in the system of white supremacy, Texas or any place else uh, in a system of racism. And for me, I'm so glad uh, the victim posted that. I think that is important because I saw so much criticism of Judge Kemp's response. And Botham Johns, uh, his brother, uh, his response in the courtroom for uh, hugging uh, this convicted murderer, uh, suspected race soldier. I saw so much criticism uh, from other victims of racism and people being upset with them and how they responded. Uh, Victims guaranteed qualified. That would be uh, first and foremost. Second of all, I was reminded of the... I guess the death that happened uh, earlier this year, the black male entertainer out in uh, California. I'm a victim of racism. uh, Name is is slipping me for a moment. I'm sure it'll come to me in a moment, but he was killed in California earlier this year. And I said, you know, I'm not sure uh, how many people uh, who are saying that they are really shook up about this and they're really sad. Uh, i'm not sure how many people are really upset because it seems like a lot of times people will just wait for uh any instance where a black person dies and that just becomes entertainment hashtag we can get our you know outrage on uh with the the term they'll use our uh hashtag activism uh it'll just be entertainment uh and an opportunity to you know say whatever you want to say in frustration and then move on to something else. I said that before, and I said uh sometimes i don't think that there is authentic sympathy, uh, concern, uh, for the black people involved in these cases. That's what I was reminded of, uh, when I was seeing some of the really harsh critiques of how black people responded in the courtroom in this case. And I think one in particular, uh, that really, uh, I can't say I was stunned. I was disappointed. Uh, I was disappointed greatly. I saw a response, the brother goes to hug Amber Geiger and it was, oh my goodness, uh, This black male, I swear it looks like he wants to, you know, get her number or get her out on a date, engage in some sort of sexual activity with this white woman. And I just I read that. And again, this is from, you know, allegedly from someone who's classified as black. And I just said, wow. This black male, regardless of the response, this black male lost his brother. I don't care how upset you are about what happened, about who this white woman killed, about the sentence the verdict, what happened in the courtroom, her being given a Bible, I don't care how upset anyone says they are, no one has been more traumatized by this than Mr. Botham John's family. No one. His parents, brother, all the people in his immediate family. Nobody out there just watching this on television. You live-streamed it at work or whatever. Nobody out there feels as bad or is taking this as hard as they have. Certainly, they got BGQ for however they want to respond, and I would hope that there's some sort of Wow. This has probably been so traumatizing for them. Like this is, I can't even say PTSD because this is current. This is like a live white supremacy stress response. So, I mean, they might not even be, you know, processing this, who knows, you know, how they're dealing with all this as, as best they can, but all of that totally valid. But to say that this black male had some sort of sexual interest in this white woman. I just come back to the man night and that was the word I was looking for. I found that so repulsive and disgusting that that would be the categorization. Do you see how quick in the system of white supremacy, the black male is reduced to a phallic symbol, though? This is not a grieving brother who's traumatized. And as I said, just trying to do the best that he can to respond, regardless of how I feel about this response. And it's incorrect. And you don't want to be touching her like that and blah, blah, blah. Uh, why is it that he's got to be reduced to a sex symbol? Why is it constant, immediate? He's feverish for a white woman. He wants to rape a white woman. How quick, in any circumstance, even in this circumstance, it's that quick we get to he wanted to rape a white woman. In fact, the next thing I remember when I saw that, not only both of John's brother wanted to have sex with Amber Geiger, I remember when this case happened, some people theorized that Amber Geiger and Botham John were in some sort of sexual arrangement and maybe he broke it off and she came in. Now, I've never seen any evidence, any evidence that that was the case. Nothing. I've never heard anything about phone records. They knew each other before. She had been there. They were hanging out. Nothing. But I remember that that was some people's theory, even then. Dead black male, feverish for a white woman. Why is that consistently complained about? I'm not going to say complained, but I pointed that out. Uh, aggressively, the entire time that we read the worst book I've ever read, Black Love is a Revolutionary Act. What is the consistent go through? What is the ruination of the world? Feverish black males chasing white women. Why is that the trope? Oh, because racists have said that forever. Be mindful. That's something that I request compensatory call in. Be mindful. Anytime, anytime somebody says with no evidence, they haven't given any proof, any data, nothing. This is just their analysis. I'm just giving a theory on what I think is happening here. And it's some form of we got a feverish black male chasing a white woman here. Stop. Is this just the white supremacy reflex? Is just just more of our brain trashing where that's how we've been conditioned to see black males. They're always, remember last week we had the young black child was being potty trained. He was two years old. No, 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 no. He was out exposing his genitals, probably had his eye on a white woman. Remember that last week? Think about that. I was so disgusted about that this week. Uh, and if anybody, if that was what you were hoping to call in to gripe and complain about how the victims of white supremacy responded in court this week, please stay muted. There should be no surprise about that. We saw this with Dylan Roof. Dr. Welzing wasn't even surprised about that with Dylan Roof. She said on this program the day before it happened. When the victims, Charleston Nine, went in the courtroom and were crying and said that they forgave Dylan Roof, Dr. Welsing already predicted that that was going to happen, and she wasn't angry about it. She did. That's the system of white supremacy. That's what we've been encouraged to do forever under this system. Forgive white people. Give them a hug. Pat them on the back, and we'll just try and, and get through this. That's what we've been encouraged to do for centuries. That is terrorism. That's Elaine Arkansas. Not talking bad about the victims and I'm so upset and why are you behaving like this anti-blackness really be mindful of that Uh, that's why I talk about that on a consistent basis on the program the words that we use not calling other black people coons not calling other black people sellouts not calling other black people accomplices we don't want to be name calling people that anti-blackness even when Calvin Lawrence was on the program and he talked about playing the dozens as children and I said I don't think that makes us any stronger to fight racism I think that just enforces and encourages more anti-blackness towards black people where we can just be hostile and unsemitic sympathetic to them in any, all circumstances. I could be in error. Anywho, uh, I already said it, but I'll say it again. Uh, For this particular program, we are supposed to be mindful about words. That would mean uh, not using metaphors for the program. I already said the Walter Payton School in Chicago is supposed to be a magic place. I don't know what that means. Are we doing tricks, making the negros disappear? I don't know. Words are very important. Race soldiers understand the power of words. They will regularly insist that two separate entities are identical, totally equivalent. And often that is not the case at all. Victims of white supremacy, myself included, uh, we have been exposed to this misconduct uh, for centuries. Uh, and we are still learning, myself included, Uh, so there are some things where we have not come to a conclusion. That is totally fine. It just means that sometimes we don't have logic to articulate our views and in those instances sometimes we'll substitute some sort of metaphor, comparison, analogy. Often that just produces more confusion. Uh, If we could be direct, exact with what we want to say and Whatever our viewpoint that we're trying to articulate, that would be appreciated. I will prompt about the metaphors. Thank you kindly. If you could take about eight minutes. Uh, to share whatever thoughts, views that, excuse me, five minutes. What did I get from? My goodness. Woo. You can take about five minutes to share uh, whatever thoughts, views uh, you have, questions. That would be great. Uh, if you need additional time, just wait until everyone has spoken at least once, and then you should have an opportunity to add your extra thoughts. Uh, if you know you're in a noisy environment, people are watching football or partying or whatever it is, uh, if you could use your mute button. Then you can just unmute when you're ready to speak. Uh, that way we don't have to contest with a lot uh, of background noise and audio distortion. Uh, just makes it uh more constructive broadcast. Uh, again, you can just unmute yourself when you're ready to talk. Hopefully, if you can get to a quieter area and then return to mute, and you can go back to whatever's happening in the background. Number again, 605-313-5164. Code 564943 pound. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. First few folks who dialed in with a hand up line should be open. Uh, I will request, since we had someone who asked. Uh, For workplace racism, if folks have a thought, if you're filling out an employment application, let's say that you got the application from online. Let's say you did it that way. You didn't get it in person. If you're filling out the application and they have a section to mark gender and race, uh, do you fill it out or do you leave it blank? That was the question asked. You're trying to get a job. Do you fill it out? Gender, race, fill it out, leave it blank. Uh, And for race specifically, do you fill it out accurately? Uh, if you're classified as black, that's what's on your you know birth certificate or whatever documents. Uh do you mark white? Do you mark other race? Multiracial. <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah, folks uh did ask that question. What do you think uh would best serve your interests to get the job in filling out the application? To leave it blank, fill it out, maybe fill it out, but don't fill it out and then mark black, mark something else if you are classified as black. You can share on that star six one for the folks who dialed in. First few folks with a hand up, line should be open. Uh, Feel free to proceed. Can I be heard? Greetings retired firefighter.
1: Greetings, Gus. Greetings, everyone. Uh, I'll first start off with uh, the DCS program, DCS mentoring program. Uh, This is uh, day one. Today was day one of a new session Uh, the feature of the, uh, day, other than the other activities that we, uh, uh, do with the, uh, young fellows is, uh, they watched the first part of, uh, the Central Park Five. And they were very attentive to the, uh, movie. Very attentive. Uh, even the very young, uh, fellas, uh, I'm talking about the six-year-olds, uh, they were very attentive to the, to the, uh, the program and we're looking forward to being able to share with them, uh, with that, uh, Diane Carroll, I also remember her, uh, she played a small part and did some singing in the movie, Carmen Jones. I think that movie came out in the fifties. And I was surprised because I, I didn't know that she was that far back as far as uh, a performer. uh, When I saw the movie. Uh, Malcolm X. uh, For some reason, uh, somebody put out a uh, documentary. That is, uh, I think, five or six parts. Uh, I saw the first two this week. Uh, basically, the documentary is about who killed Malcolm X. And what's new about it uh, is that uh, they are going to uh, just focus in on uh, the events that took place uh in and around something like 48 hours before he was was murdered and the day he was murdered. And uh, uh, also they're going to uh, try to uh, seek after the, uh, at least one person I do know they're going to seek after, uh, the uh, person who reportedly was the real killer of Malcolm X. uh, I believe his name is uh, William Bradley who still resides in uh, Newark, New Jersey. Uh, he also was featured in a uh, a, a commercial with uh, Cory Booker. Uh, moving on, uh, uh, last but not least, uh, I was just thinking, as you were talking about Walter Payton, uh, I don't know what magic means either, but uh, as far as racism, white supremacy, there was a mysterious, some, some mystery behind the tragic death of his father. Uh, he died, I think, in a jail cell. Uh, I think he was arrested for DOI, but they found out that he had actually what it was. It was some kind of medical condition. Uh, and what it does with the person, it makes their breath smell like alcohol uh and they did inter- interview walter and his brother on it and they basically uh i think uh from my memory uh stated that uh there was no racism involved in his death but uh outside of that that's it's, as far as anything close to uh magic being some sort of uh relationship to racism white supremacy uh, I, I'm not aware of how that fits in either. But uh, that's my report.
10: And thanks, everybody, for listening. Much obliged, retired firefighter. Uh, the documentary Central Park Five that was put together by suspected racists uh, Ken Burns. And Sarah Burns, Ken Burns has done a lot of documentaries, most of them dealing with white supremacy. He did that big project on Vietnam, retired firefighters talked about. He did a documentary on Jack Johnson, lots of different films uh, that deal with white supremacy, racism. Uh, More importantly, uh, his daughter, Sarah Burns, guest on the cows, 2012, we talked about that film slash book. Uh, specifically Central Park five, uh, it is a book also written by Sarah Burns and they, uh, adapted that to the documentary. But that even goes back to the point that I made about, uh, people saying that both John's brother, uh, was sexually interested in, in Amber Geiger there again, black males, non-white males, children. Oh yeah. They had to rape this white woman. Of course they did. You know, you raped this white woman. Confess, admit that you raped this white woman. And then, oh, whoops, you didn't rape this white woman. After you've already been convicted. We heard that a few times in the audio segment as well. The man not. Other folks that dialed in that we've not heard from. Star 61. Hello? Uh,
20: Greetings.
10: Greetings.
19: Oh, hi, I muted myself. Okay, thank you for taking my call. I hope everyone's having the best evening they can have. Um, I wanted to talk about I heard a metaphor, the third rail, I guess, regarding education. The third rail is a highly um electrified I guess I don't want to trail on the train tracks. I know about a group in New York City. I don't know you would get electrocuted trying to equal, um make education equitable for all types of children. So again, like you said, be careful the metaphors. Third rail, I thought that was very extreme because the third rail, if you land on it, it is known to kill people. Um, the land trust, I thought that was um, an excellent idea, but you have to be careful about that because I heard, from what I heard, they set up a non-profit, and if you know the legalities of a non-profit, if it's ever dissolved, you those resources have to go either to another nonprofit non profit or the government so they can go, Oh yes, you have, you can have a non profit and I've heard of a lot of black people starting nonprofit organizations and they'll put their assets and they have they may have significant property, in this case the land. So I hope they are aware that they have to keep up this trust forever. And once one mistake or something off to the government and so those things we have to be careful of I know a lot of I've heard of black people again wanting to set up oh no i a corporation because I want to help solve a problem you know once that problem is solved if it is solved what do you do with the assets used to help solve that problem so that's something you have to be aware of um, yes the, the quote unquote magic negro again a metaphor I don't know who this is i haven't met them i've already said black girl magic is ridiculous racism would have been solved proof gone over i don't know what this magic does i i i'm gonna have to ask about it um the chicken nugget thing i looked it up it says you've been in the sun too long you turn dark so it's something relating of course to being dark um, specifically I found the phrase burnt chicken nugget, um, being screwed over, that was the term used, being, I guess that that was in a negative way. Someone no messing up something for you or something getting messed up, I was treated like a burnt chick- chicken nugget in that capacity. Um, VGQ on every side, well, yes, on every side. Um, For that case, I knew that once I don't, once I saw the picture of the hug, I have to admit, I became less interested in the case because I knew that would be the focus—not what she did, not her behavior, but this act of forgiveness, which is commendable. It really is commendable. I I'm I guess I. I detracted from that because I just have, but um the judge i hopefully that if that did happen, it happened after all of the verdicts, after the guilty verdict and after the sentencing, because to me, I believe something like that would influence the sentencing, and as a judge, no matter what you know your genetic makeup is, I would think i mean you, i would I personally would be mindful of that even if that's how you feel, you know, giving guilty, people guilty of murder gifts I, as a judge. I mean, I could see her doing that outside of court, sending that later on. People do that. But in the judge's capacity in the courtroom, I personally thought that that was inappropriate, her right to do so. But as a judge, I have to admit I disagree with that. And that
10: is all I have for now. Thank you. Much obliged. Uh, thank you for the commentary, ma'am. Uh, that words are so important. Third rail was mentioned, I believe, in the segment where they were talking about white supremacy in the Seattle school system, uh, where they, they used the term specifically institutional racism to describe the school system here in Seattle, And they said that that's the third rail. And I thought that was so important that you explained the third rail that can be fatal. You can die if you touch the third rail. So is that what are you suggesting about discussing in an honest way, not white privilege, but institutional racism as a problem in the Seattle School District? You are suggesting that just talking about this is fatal. That is something that I think is important because I think that's true. I've said that for years. That's why I've said words are so important. Don't, or I won't say, don't allow, but contest. Do not minimize when people do not quote you correctly, because people have died for just talking about racism. When we, lots of us, talk about how much you know, we uh, Minister Malcolm X uh, impacted our thinking, and we read his book or his speeches or whatever it is. He died just talking about racism. He wasn't out, you know, shooting other folks. Same thing for Dr. King's long list of people uh that you can name. Medgar Evers, they were just talking uh about racism. Nothing else. Sometimes even advocating nonviolence and still got killed. So I mean, it is huge discussing as a black person speaking about white supremacy racism. You could die. Words are important. Choose them carefully. Uh, I also thought uh, with the land trust, Shirley Sherrod, I was so glad that they put Shirley Sherrod in some sort of content. What did I just say? Words are important. Shirley Sherrod, they uh, deliberately were deceptive uh, in editing the video so that you could not hear everything that she said. They gave you a little snippet so that it could end the audacity suggest she's racist. How would that even be? (laughs) What would that even... Uh, You can check out the video where she allegedly said that she wouldn't help these white farmers and they left out the part where she did help this white guy keep his farm and all that. And I think this white guy called in to vouch that this did happen and she did help him keep his farm. Uh, But she ended up having uh, to resign workplace racism white there. Black president. Lots of people were mad at President Obama for that. When that no good coon, President Obama, He didn't stand behind Shirley Sherrod, blah, 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 system of white supremacy but I remember that I was glad that they included that because that can be a part of what happens with the land trust Uh, it could be you know in this scandal with Shirley Sherrod and all of that 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 ends up being a part of it as things fall apart or lots of different things that she said in there that can end up causing problems Uh, I've said it for years whites have a variety of ways of stealing property from black people including our lives uh, other folks who dialed in with a hand up that we've not heard from at all. Uh, if you uh, have commentary questions to share, proceed. Maddie here. Uh, greetings, Ivy.
5: Greetings, Gus, and greetings to all the callers on the line. Um. Mr. Lawrence actually I, I agree with um big victim when he said that Mr Lawrence is comfortable because Mr. Lawrence said that himself, Calvin, Calvin Lawrence. Um he said that white supremacy cannot be ended and that he said I'm doing all right and I know some other black people that are doing all right. Um so I think he, he said that himself. Um as far as those electronic cigarettes or whatever e cigarettes means um, this was discussed on uh, the compensatory call in a, a few weeks ago, and some people suggested and I think even said explicitly that those um, that those um cigarettes or whatever are marketed to non white people and to black people. I don't think that's true at all um I don't think that expensive brands are are marketed to black people at all um because we don't have the money um and you there might be For the most part, we don't even um, use any of those brands. There may be one or two, and usually there's extenuating circumstances as to why we're even wearing them. They were given to us or they're fake or something like that. Um, White people don't want black people wearing expensive things because they don't want us to be able to, to afford them, and they show us that just by stopping us if we're in certain neighborhoods or removing us from stores that are supposed to be expensive or, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, I think one way also to, um, reference the, the central park five, instead of saying that is to call them five victims of terrorism. Um, I want to say that Tupac Shakur, the notorious B I G Aaliyah. Whitney Houston, Prince, Michael Jackson, Bush, Bushwick, Bill, Luther Vandross, um, Craig Mack, John Singleton, Johnny Cochran, Rodney King, and a host of other black people. I don't believe that any of them were, um, that they died the way that white people said that they did. I think that white people killed them. And many of these people that I just mentioned, most of them were um, entertainers, and they have been replaced by people who do not have any talent. And I think that's on purpose to destroy, um, uh, black people's legacy as musicians and the last thing that I wanted to say at least for now hopefully I can speak again later um, immediately when I started seeing the 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 photographs of the judge hugging Amber Geiger and the brother um, I immediately thought okay yes this is um white people when I just saw I just saw white people circulating uh, these images because I think that they are the ones who are circulating these images. I think that white people set these um, set these um, situations up. I think that white people most likely forced them to do what they were doing so that they could get pictures of 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 these people to deflect from what happened so that people would be talking about um, the supposed incorrect behavior of the judge and of the brother. Instead of the incorrect behavior of Amber Geiger, similarly to how um, white people deflected to discussion on a flag when uh, the white terrorist Dylan Storm Roof um, gunned down all those people in church, and uh, I'll mute my line for now. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Gus.
10: Much obliged, Ivy. People who are most to blame—individuals <laughs> classified as white—they are extraordinarily skillful uh, at taking, removing the focus from themselves, their culpability, their terrorist behavior, placing the attention on other victims and how we respond. They're extraordinary. Uh, the number again is six zero five three one three five one six four. The code five six four nine four three pound. Press star six one if you would like to participate. Others that we have missed totally. Uh, if you have commentary, proceed. Hello. Uh, yes, sir. Hello. Yes, sir. We can hear you. Okay. Um. Yeah. This
4: is uh, D Mac out of Kentucky, and um, I um want to ask uh, the specific question or, or ponder on what we're talking about. Um, the Botham John shooting. Um, specifically, I don't know if, if 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 you guys have heard, but um, there was a a, a man that testified in the, in the, in the trail by the name of Joshua Brown. And, um, he was murdered, um, mysteriously, I think, um, this past Friday, um, or I think last Friday or, or one of these, this past recently, he was just murdered. And, um, I want to point out, um, and talk about the extra judicial, um, lynchings and murders that have been going on, um, you know, and the the fighting that our ancestors have actually done to liberate us and get us to where we are today. And I just want to ask the question of when 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 do you when do you think that we are ready as a nation of indigenous, you know? melanated beings, us melanated beings being the oldest, you know what I'm saying, you know, men and women, you know, species on this planet today, when do you think we will ever rise up and actually come together and fully understand what we must do to liberate ourselves from the how do you put it, the scourges of the barbarian hordes and races that we have civilized and have now have us in a predicament of extermination. What, when, when do you think we will rise up and actually fully do something about it? Because I think that throughout history we have seen where us fighting has been the only way that we have liberated ourselves. Harriet Tubman fought Um, You know, uh, you know, El Yanga, uh, uh, Gaspar Yanga fought, Nat Turner fought, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, John Horace fought numerous, uh, you know, of our ancestors have fought to liberate us. And I just wanted to ask, when do we understand the beasts that we are up against and their tactics and their ways? And when 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 do you think we actually just when do you think it'll click?
10: Uh, thank you so much for dialing in. Kentucky, M. Hon, DC's part of the plantation. Uh, thank you so much for the information on the uh, witness, uh, the shooting. Uh, I'm reading from Joshua Brown is the victim's name. I'm reading from the Dallas Morning News. Botham John's neighbor, a key witness in Amber Geiger's trial, shot to death in Dallas. Joshua Brown died at the hospital after Friday night shooting in the 4600 block of Cedar Springs Road, uh, this was updated four hours ago, three hours ago, a key witness in Amber Geiger's murder trial was shot and killed Friday evening at an apartment complex near Dallas's Medical District. Authorities say Joshua Brown, a neighbor of both them Jeans and Geiger. At the Southside Flats apartment was slain about 10.30 p.m. in the 4600 block. Brown, 28, lived across the hall from Jean and testified about the night he was killed. A preliminary investigation shows, shot, uh, shows Brown was shot in the back and thigh, a government official said, on condition of anonymity. Dallas County Prosecutor Jason Hermes, the lead prosecutor... In the Geiger case, said Saturday that Brown stood up at a time when others won't say what they know. He bravely came forward to testify when others wouldn't. Herma said, if we had more people like him, we would have a better world. I'm going to stop right there. Number one, Ivy just said a long list of names of black people who died suspiciously. That would be another one, Mr. Joshua Brown. Two, I think the same thing happened with Michael Brown in Ferguson where a number of witnesses or people connected to the case died strangely after the case. Did I have one more? I'll stop right there. I'll give you uh, I'll give you all a chance to check. Oh, I was responding to I was responding to the rest of the commentary from our caller in Kentucky uh when will we quote unquote come together when will we wise up uh i think when we get a better understanding of the problem that we are facing i think that we thus far we do not understand racism white supremacy we do not understand what it means to be white i think that is the biggest problem not having that information i think causes us to not be able to you say liberate replace white supremacy with justice to get a permanent solution to this problem so we keep having these same types of incidents amber geiger you just changed the names uh a part of that and uh, you also mentioned uh fighting it sounded like some sort of counter-violence that was what you were suggesting uh counter-violence has not been successful you said liberated it has not done that uh and i'm saying the evidence shows that black people non-white people uh engaging in counter-violence has not Protected them from white supremacy racism. Nat Turner is reported to have killed numerous white people. He did not solve the problem of white supremacy racism. In fact, it's reported he was killed. Long list. You can look at the area of the world known as Vietnam. They resorted to counterviolence. You can look at the area of the world known as Japan. They resorted to counterviolence. violence to dealing with the problem of white supremacy racism these areas of the world have not solved that problem yet either you can look at haiti long list of black people who have engaged in counter violence it has not solved their problem at all we still don't understand what racism white supremacy is how it works we have more to do i do think words are an important aspect of why we have not solved that problem that's why i say this particular program being more mindful about the words that we use uh words like come together uh, that's a metaphor in my view What does that mean, quote unquote, come together? Uh, I suggest, I think I've heard Mr. Neely Fuller Jr. stated before, you quote unquote, come together around a code, a united independent code about what are we trying to do, solve the problem of white supremacy, racism, and then we have to figure out ways of going about doing that, things we do, things we don't do, we don't argue and fight, squabble with other black people. That's, I think, how you go about solving this problem, recognizing what the problem is in an accurate manner. Describing that problem accurately and then figuring out codes to solve that problem and being dedicated to that code and solving that problem. Uh, Anything? Oh, we're not. Women and men. I think that's an important one as well. I've been saying the man, not Dr. Curry's book, Top Ten. Uh, we do not qualify as men and women uh, Women, while we are under the system of racism, white supremacy. We do not qualify as uh, a nation. That discussion came up with Calvin Lawrence on the program just a couple days ago. He was saying the same thing. I said that's a major part of the problem. You don't have a community or a nation if you are subject to racist men and women. That is counter-racist logic. Hope that answers your commentary. Uh, Other folks that we have not heard from at all, if you have questions, commentary to add, proceed. I did have one more point while folks are spectating. I just said this is related to Joshua Brown being shot and killed. I just said that uh, third rail, we're talking about that metaphor. Words are important. Third rail, you can be killed for talking about white supremacy, racism. Joshua Brown gives this key testimony, dies under suspicious circumstances. You can be killed for talking about racism, white supremacy. Number again, six zero five three one three five one six four. 313 5164 code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Uh, other folks that we missed, not heard from, if you have questions, comments, proceed. I assume some of the folks that have a hand up that we have not heard from, maybe they are waiting or in a spot where might not be able to chat. Oh, there's one. Thomas in New York. Yes, sir.
30: Gus. Gus in Seattle. Good evening, Gus. How are you? (laughs) Uh, Right poorly. poorly. I (laughs) don't know. Me too. Um, Man, you know, you talk about uh, how the sister would like to do Supremacy um, function. And I looked at the jury of the case and saw all the non white people, and I said, oh, great. And then, um, non white judge, I'm like, oh, okay, you know, and, you know, even having a black officer that was a supervisor testify that she wasn't that competent of cops. And I'm looking at all of this and then not even weighing into the effect, this, this is a white supremacy. Uh, I don't think any other juries that are, unless it's a white jury, has sent someone to prison for their whole life. I mean, that's just how white people do. You know, so I, I think all of that weighed into why they picked a mostly non-white jury. Um, you know, they knew that, you know, these people aren't going to send this poor little white girl, away for the rest of their life. We have them conditioned and, um, you know, just a lot of factors. I weigh into it. Um, Christianity, of course, huge factor and all of that. But, um, at, on the flip side of everything, uh, well, that might be a metaphor, but looking at it from the other side, um, we did get a conviction, which hardly ever happens. I didn't expect that. So that was great. Um, and, um, the system of uh, why people set it up so great because the system of law didn't fail at this time. It was the jury, you know, because they gave a 5 to 99 and the jury picked 10. You guys won in court. You got the murder case was too big. You know, why are you guys complaining for? I mean, they just, they just write the script so well. And um, that's why the best thing is not to get emotional. Uh, After these things happened, it was people went out in the crowd, and I understood their emotion. I just wish that they didn't have that emotion. It it should have been expected. Um, We expected this to happen. Let's move on um, and try to end the system of white supremacy. Um, Sometimes we get our expectations up a little too high. Um, Plant-based meat companies, um, be very careful because these are all traded as technology companies. They're not traded as food companies. Um, And they're all based out of Silicon Valley, except for um, there's a few that I think Nestle bought one and uh, Conagra, one of those other big food companies, you know, to get into the market they purchased in. So it'll look like that's coming from um, some type of food company. But it's really they just bought a Silicon Valley company that's Processing this meat, using chemicals and um, biochemistry and, you know, engineering it, you know, it's it's not real food. I would be very, um, I would look at it very wary and look into the ingredient heme, H-E-M-E, just put heme, plant-based meat, and you'll find all types of things, how the FDA had kept this off the market for almost 30 years, and now all of a sudden it, it was, Got a pattern to go through with the army and all of not or impossible mean, whatever. So be just be very careful. Um if you were closer to the border, you could run faster. Beautiful, man. I had a chuckle. <laughs> so, uh, white white people do it the best, of course. Oh, uh, you know, I love to get a, a good black joke, but every Mexican joke works. Um I uh, I would love to be around Trump when he has Mexican. And joke too, and black jokes. Um, but um, biracial man—that's such a bad word because in that instance, it wasn't a half black, half white. It was like a half white, half Mexican. Which you know, where I think that we automatically associate biracial as you know Drake. You know, we're not associating it as uh, you know uh, George Lopez. Me, you know, like it, it just—it's just one of those words that it could go with so many different ways. I think that, uh, I wish that, you know, they would stop using it, but of course they're using it for a reason. Um, and the last thing I wanted to say, I thought that was an excellent clip on Flint. Um, and I thought about your last guest. I forgot his name, but, um, Calvin Lawrence, you want to own, huh?
10: Calvin Lawrence. Lawrence.
30: Yes. 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 Uh, you want to own your own nation, I think Flint is an excellent example of how realistic that really is. You know, um, you got to drink water. (laughs) And, uh, you know, you're going to put it in the United States, and they have a limit of control over your your water resources. Flint, not its own nation, a part of the United States, independent municipality, and they've been drinking hazardous water since Obama was president. So, I mean, it just shows, you know, like supremacy. I'm in my mind
10: Much obliged, Thomas in New York. Uh, excellent point about biracial. I know that is in the word guide. Uh, Mr. Fuller recommends not using that word for a myriad of of reasons. Excellent point, uh, Thomas in New York. Chicken Nugget, yeah, thank you, and uh, thank you to our female caller from uh, before who uh, gave the information about Chicken Nuggets, referring to having darker skin tones, so they'll call you Chicken Nugget. Wow, that, still learning, still learning. Uh, They do say, I believe, uh, the Arkansas region, Texas, Virginia, I I believe the metaphor that is commonly used is they call that the Bible Belt. You can process that how you need to uh, in terms of belt usage system of white supremacy. They love talking about lashing. They they probably do that down in South Carolina. They had that segment about the... uh, The slave tours of the plantations down in Charleston, South Carolina, I'm sure if they do it accurately, there should be some rapings and lashings uh, going on in addition to, you know, whatever else, starvations, delectable Negro, make it, you know, authentic. Uh, But Bible Belt, you can think about that with Judge Kemp handing out the Bible uh, at the trial or lots of different things. What Thomas in New York said about the sentencing, already having them conditioned. Bible Belt. Hey, hey us if you look up the American, United States Black Belt, it's called the
30: Black Belt. It's the same thing as the Bible Belt, and this is where the most black people live. I believe Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, Arkansas, um, up to South Carolina, Georgia, of course. But like the Bible Belt and the Black Belt are exactly the same, exactly. And I always said, wow, you know, how, how is that?
10: No accident, no accident. And all that would match up with a lot of the slaveholding areas as well. Context of white supremacy, but with metaphors, metaphors, super important. I'll share that article on the death of Joshua Brown as well. Uh, other folks who dialed in that we have totally missed, proceed. May I be heard? Yes, sir. Uh,
31: yes, uh, greetings, Gus. Uh, greetings, listeners and callers. Um Thank you again, Gus, for the platform. Um, first off, uh, uh, the Bohem Jean case, I have to admit myself when I first saw images and had conversations with people literally, I don't know when, when the images were released, I think it was around Friday. I was, uh, I was a little bit upset. Um, I just, I felt like I don't, I couldn't, I'm still understanding and I'm still learning And at that moment, at that time, I just couldn't understand how those things took place in the courtroom, um, the the judge and, and then the brother of, of, of Mr. Gene. I just, I thought the pain, I, 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 I guess I'm coming from this angle where I don't think anything is wrong with us as non-white people being angry and being upset with white people as long as so-called white people, as long as we direct that energy into actually proper solutions. Um, so I didn't think that they weren't going to be mad. I, I was very, I was just caught off guard and I was very surprised. But after I calmed down, I understood. Um, pretty much, I, I I agree with your commentary on it. They are the ones that are hurt the most. So VGQ um, all the way. Um, but that I, I would not deny if I'd be, I'd be lying if I didn't say that I wasn't upset when I first saw the images. Um, but Strange scenario, uh, and thank you for the call that called up and related some of that information about the witness that was shot um, Yes, uh, that is something that we all should be mindful of, uh, even in calling the show um, another thing about the uh, uh, the caller you the um, the guest you had on this week he spoke great volume about uh, boxing and how him and his father and his father wouldn't be able to really talk to him about some of the issues that he was going through so instead they would box and and fight each other and, and that's how they maintained some kind of um, closeness and were, really, were able to release the pain. But I also wondered if him having a white mother in the household, stopped the conversation from coming about about what was really going on outside of the household. And that's what led to them being a boxing even more. Um, And I wanted to ask that question, but I never got a chance, but I I really thought seriously about that because being in a household with somebody white and I've had family, my family spoke very (laughs) candid about racism, white supremacy at our get togethers but the minute we had a white family, uh, a white person come into the family via um, relation or whatever, marriage, those conversations ceased completely, just with one. And we're talking about a room full of 50 or 30 non-white people, and just one white person walks in, the conversations stop. Um, and I thought that was really interesting. Um, but that's where I, I listened to his commentary, and I was curious about that um the other thing meatless burgers i i agree with thomas there is suspicion about these ingredients i think that's something that we have to be mindful of but i do wonder how much of how many people will it actually help i'm, I'm trying to think about it in a positive uh perspective how much people it would actually help to start getting off of meat completely um i i think in some aspects it, it it may do that. Uh, I don't know how the percentage would be, but I'm hoping that that is something that will occur. Um, and for myself, I'm working myself. I've been um, I haven't had any meat all week. Actually, I take that back. I've I've had some meat once this week, but I've been pretty diligent. Tonight, I had a, a full vegetarian meal: um, almonds and peanuts and uh, kale and. Uh, a, basically a healthy dish and one of the things I will notice as I cook this for my, um, my my son as well is that immediately after we finished eating this vegetarian dish he drank water a little bit more and he immediately went to the bathroom and it's uh, myself included and I noticed the difference between eating meat and dairy where if we have something like that we tend to feel like falling asleep right after the meal, which I think is very, very interesting. But um, I'm just trying to make the transition bit by bit um, into vegan. I've, I've been pretty good this week. Like I said, I had one slip up, but I'm um, still trying to stay on task. Um, thank you for your time and energy, and peace.
10: Much obliged, sir. Thank you for sharing. Uh, I wouldn't even call it a slip up. I think that might be a metaphor, but even, even if it wasn't a metaphor, it is. Uh, I wouldn't call it a slip up. Just, you know, that was the day that you had some meat. That's that. Uh, if you're you're on your uh, transition, that's what you said. You're working and, and you named all the great stuff that you ate for dinner today. Fantastic. I think uh, everybody being gentle. I did not make that transition uh, in one day. I don't know too many people who do. I try to enjoy what you eat as long as you enjoyed what you ate and you are satisfied. You're making progress. You feel like you're moving in the correct direction with your eating. Bravo. No slip ups, just progress along the way. Uh, I'm so glad you all mentioned the the processed meats and McDonald's because that is important. McDonald's uh, now picking that up. I don't uh, eat those beyond meat burgers and all the different ones that are coming out. Uh, I think I've tri- I have tried. I have tried them, but that is not like a staple part of my diet. I don't even remember. The last time that I had one of those burger concoctions, uh, that is not how I conceptualize being uh plant-based vegan, vegetarian, whatever you want to talk about how getting away from processed foods. Like it might, I think the caller mentioned, it might be helpful, right? For some people to uh, transition from if you're eating, hot dogs and you know craziness cheetos uh if you're eating chicken nuggets if you're eating that sort of thing uh on a regular basis uh it might be uh helpful but it's not necessarily you know that good uh all of that pro- even the process to beyond meat and all that what thomas in new york said who even knows what this is like this is not even food this is a technology like Who even knows what some I think they were saying that in the clip, too. We don't even know what some of the compounds and things uh, that are in this, you know, impossible, even the name of it, an impossible like, yeah, in a system of racism, white supremacy. I'm going to take you at your word that it is impossible for this to be you. I mean, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised anything that they come out with in terms of science or other data or details five, 10 years uh, later Whole foods. That's what you want to do. The caller mentioned peanuts, kale, almonds, vegetables, whole foods. That's what you want to do. Not, uh, and I wouldn't want to eat at McDonald's, period. Like, I wouldn't care if they had fresh, fresh veggies, whatever. I would not be eating at McDonald's. I say that on a regular basis. Minimize eating out, giving racists the opportunity to put food in our mouth. Uh, and uh, I can, what they call it, transparent. Let's see, what did Gus T eat today? I had my smoothie. I've been uh, just binging on smoothies for the summer. I've got so much fresh fruit. had my smoothie with uh, oat milk, half an orange, a lot of blueberries, a banana, an apple, an Asian pear, hemp seeds, Peanut butter, two dates, blackberries, zucchini. Might be it. It was amazing. I had, uh, for a snack, I had dried seaweed, rice, guacamole, mushrooms. Uh, It is not 9 o'clock. I'll probably have something else to eat uh, after the program. That's what I ate for the day. Other folks that we've not heard from at all, Dr. Ruby Lathan, we should get her back on the program, low transit time. She talked about that, being able to have a bowel movement uh, regularly, Uh, it is not healthy to go, you know, a full day, you've eaten, not having bowel movements, that is not healthy, eating more whole foods, getting more fiber, bowel movements on a regular basis, that is healthy, getting that waste out of the body. Folks, we missed totally.
29: Hello. Hello, may I be heard?
10: Greetings, Irie in Louisiana. Just mentioned Louisiana. That's where they filmed Hurry Sundown. I said Diane Carroll could have been killed down there.
29: Oh, okay. I didn't get a chance to hear um, uh, about the past, I want to say 20 minutes before I actually connected, and I did catch some of the um, headlines. And I'm sorry. um, Well, well. Everybody has their time, but I am sorry to hear that Miss Carol passed away. You know, she she um, beautiful like even in her like eldest age. I'm um I really admire her grace in in her early films as well. Um, and I I just want to share a couple things. I was really um, hurt by um, people's comments online as well as um, within conversation about. Bottom's uh brother, you know, I, I know what it's like to lose a parent and I know what it's like to lose uh another relative that's as close as a parent, but I, I you know, I've never lost anyone from straight murder and, and racist murder at that. And I did advocate for on his behalf, I said, you know, um who are you to say how anyone copes with any type of loss? Um how about that? I said, and I think the principle of, you know, Christianity, whether, you know, we agree with it or not, but I do believe the principles of Christianity is to uh let go of anger against someone who has um wronged you or trespassed against you. That's a part of the Our Father, and, and you know, forgive those as we, blah, blah, blah. I can't remember right now, but, you know, people that, says Our Father, no. And that's the whole principle. More godlike. It's not him you should be mad at. You should be mad at the racist people and the racist agenda that uh, basically let Miss Geiger, you know, feel and, and act on a faith that she could murder uh, a non-white person in the first place. Um, I'm sorry, I'm getting emotional, but um, that I wanted to share with Mr. DC that I did listen to um, a podcast a couple weeks ago. And, um, you know, it's a nature report, like, you know, with the chemtrails. Well, you know, white supremacists have contaminated. I planted so much. Not only is snow on Mount Everest. I'm not snow, plastic on the snow falling on Mount Everest. There's plastic in the soil. They've tested um, these worms called rosy-tipped earthworms. And I've seen them, and it's funny because they're actually quite cute, but, you know, they're abundant in healthy soil, basically. And these rosy-tipped worms are growing shorter every year, and the pH of the soil has gone up, which is stifling the growth of certain plants that they've tested. Um, it's tragic. Huh. Anyhow, and I guess one last thing, um, I'm still thankful for, you know, the "Get the Fear" podcast. Um, Before we got to the book, I was proactive and bought some bars for my window Um, in my apartment. They weren't properly installed, but they were there. I fixed them up to still deter from entry. Ended up working. Um, Somebody tried to get in my kitchen window. I heard it because I was up late. And, uh, the bar kept them from trying to pursue it further, so I went ahead, filed a police report, gave the notice to my landlord, who is a white, so called Jewish male and, and very cheap and stereotypical of what people say. But so I gave him the police report and said, um, it's been time for you to fix my windows, um, and you need to do so now, or I'm going to take it out the rent. And they had some people over to install them fully, and I also went ahead and bought myself a PowerPoint So So uh, I say it is indeed our own responsibility. And before I get off, you lie, I just want to advocate to people to please, if you know the 10 stops by Mr. Fuller, read them and read them again. And please, put them in practice as well as the rest of the code. Because we have a lot of people out here who call themselves being codified who are not being codified because they are name-calling and they are not calling attention to the problem of racism and white supremacy. And I don't know where it is on the list, but I know name-calling is one of the things that we should not do. Um, So that is all. I want to thank you for letting me share. And everyone have a good rest of their Saturday night.
10: Much obliged, Irie. Thank you for dialing in. No name calling. Indeed, Dr. Welsing and Mr. Fuller with emphatically no name calling in unison. Uh, I'm so sorry that you uh, had that uh, attempted break in uh, at your residence. Um, but so thankful if it was Gavin Becker, or, you know, just listen. Mr. Fuller does say, you know, listen to sometimes the universe. The creator sends messages that are meant just for you. uh, And sometimes it might be a message about your safety to say, hey, you know, let's secure these windows. This is not safe. Uh, Take your safety seriously. We are in a system that is designed to keep non-white people, especially black people, unsafe all the time. Didn't they say 10 year old black uh, female beaten up on the bus? Didn't even intervene take your safety safety of people you're responsibly for responsible for uh you have to make that a priority because no one else will that is sterling illustration imagine if you had ignored that signal about the bars on the window and you know where that could have went outstanding and then to follow up police report and to go to the landlord and i won't say demand but you uh need to get on your job and repair these windows. My safety is in jeopardy. And taking it out of the rent, bam, getting things to solving problems. That is counter-racism in action, using words to solve problems and listening to those. So that is exact. in my view, that is exactly what Gavin DeBecker was talking about in The Gift of Fear when he said your intuition, when you get that signal about the window, this is important. I need to get this done, not ignoring that. Following the logic, whoa, this is a problem. I am going to take care of this. Follow that. If there are other things that come up to you that seem like it's a problem, something is is making you seem suspicious, either if it's a safety concern about your residence or your neighborhood or about a specific person or persons, white or non-white, listen to that investigate question. There probably is something there. There's a reason you are getting that feeling. Uh, Other folks uh, who we've missed totally, if you have a hand up, Proceed. May I be heard? Yes, sir.
32: Yes, good evening, Gus. Good evening, callers. Good evening, all participants. I hope everybody's having a constructive evening. Um, I, I kind of missed out on um, some of the, the broadcast, but I wanted to share or amplify the suspicion of the um, so-called alt protein, um, the Impossible Burgers and Beyond Meat Actually, like I said, um, an article just came into my attention today. Um, <clears throat> the article purports that the Impossible Burger test positive for partner. Uh, my pronunciation in glyphosate, is a uh, possible carcinogen. So I guess, like I said, we should also, you know, just continue to be suspicious of these new products. And like I said, as Thomas said, it is being listed as uh, technology rather than a uh, food products and definitely something to be um, suspicious of. And two questions I would like to ask. Um, one, I uh, said, have you ever considered doing a book study of the compensatory code book or the ISIS papers? And the second one uh, is regarding Mr. Mister John's reaction um, to his, to um, the race soldier Amber Geyer. I, w- I want to know do you think or, or any of the listeners think it inaccurate when discussing sharing of views regarding Mr. John's display of forgiveness to contrast it to white folks' reaction in a highly paced, highly publicized case when the convicted was black and the victim was white. Uh for example, um in the New York area there was the um the jogger case in Queens where the young man was um convicted. And I remember the, the victim's family uh, was calling for blood for that, that young man. So I want to know if it, do you believe that to be an AI, um, accurate comparison or contrast. I'll meet my line. Thank you.
10: Uh, much obliged. Uh, your first question uh, with the book club. Reading is more important than watching television. Uh, my logic I generally don't like to do books on the book club where we have or will have the author on the program. Uh, I think there's only been one exception, but generally I try, well, now two, but I generally try to avoid that. We didn't read uh, Pam's work until she passed, and that was why uh, we read her book. Um, so I would, I mean, Dr. Wellsing and Mr. Fuller, they've been on the program so many times. I, you know, feel like... Uh, like before we had read Medical Apartheid, I would say I would rather read that because that was a book I hadn't read and I suspect a number of listeners had not read either, as opposed to the ISIS papers, uh, Mr. Fuller's work, when they've been on the program so many times and you know, people have already at least been exposed to those ideas, whereas not been exposed at all to something like The Gift of Fear or Harriet Washington's, if that makes sense. It may not. I hope that at least answered the, that question. Uh, in terms of responding to the forgiveness, uh, I mean, that VGQ, that is one way that one can respond. Uh, I've heard that before. It's, it's something about this, like, and it may be, we have a decade now um, of, or I have a decade at least, uh, of doing the cows and doing counter racist work. And so I've seen a lot of these. Uh, cases where a black person has been terrorized. This was at the White Privilege Conference in 2010. They had a case uh, from South Africa, no less, uh, where it was a black uh, person, this white person killed their family, or at least killed someone, killed the parents. And they ended up, I think, adopting like the child of the people, black people that they killed. And they same thing, talked about forgiveness, and they ended up dancing at the end of the story. I found it repulsive. However, once you begin to see patterns, Dr. Welsing talked about that pattern recognition, that's in the ISIS papers. Uh, when you see this same dramatic presentation of black people forgiving white people for all manner of atrocity and then white people make a big production of this like this was you know major event at the white privilege conference on the big stage for everybody to come and see like most of the workshops it's just i mean so many people there it'll be 20 people 30 people this you know you got over a thousand people here to see all about the black people forgiving the same thing with both john there were so many instants or so many events uh that took place uh this week the elaine arkansas massacre alone <laughs> You're talking about something where easily a thousand people could have been a thousand black people. Could have been killed, probably were killed. And they said this is something people don't even know about. That's what they said in the report. One of the worst massacres where it's not just, oh, man, they killed one black person. No, they killed probably a thousand black people, maybe two thousand black people. And people don't even know about it. They talk about bad shootings and they think Pulse nightclub where was, I think they said, 50 people got killed. That's what were the Las Vegas shooting when they think. Oh man, what a shooting! A thousand black people in Elaine, Arkansas, and this is the what they call one hundred year anniversary. That got oh yeah, that statue for the niggers. Mm. But that Botham John's brother, man, that no good coon, and who is to blame for that? That is white people that's where I would feel. I would try any conversation on the focus, in my view, should come back to the people who are most to blame for all of this. The people who are most to blame for that photo and those images happening in the first place, for those photos and images being reproduced as much as they were uh, this week, as was said by the callers, for Amber Geiger being most responsible for this happening in the first place, all of the attention would go back there. System of racism, white supremacy. That would be my focus because I've, I've just it's such a pattern where they do these sort of things, Dylan Rue, South Carolina, they do this all the time to focus on black people forgiving white people. That's not the problem, in my view. Folks, we've not heard from at all. May hey, Have be heard? Caller in Florida? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank
33: you very much, sir. Greetings to Gus, the host, the listeners and callers. Um. Uh, because that was a very good point about uh, in the system of white supremacy, white people have tremendous control over the images and what's presented to masses of black uh, black people, and how we have these cell phones and these devices, television, and which leads to that that quote: reading is more important than watching television because that's a great way for a racist. To control how we emotionally react to these kinds of, uh, incidents because we've been oppressed for so long. Um, and we are in proximity to each other. So that frustration comes out, unfortunately, or, uh, aggressively and name calling and wanting to, uh, harass other victims and, uh, racist. They definitely have, a intellectual understanding of that and I could tell definitely when you see the, the weeping white woman the uh, Amber Geiger was crying on the stand and uh, looked like she even dyed her hair apparently I don't know if anyone else noticed that um, and I believe that they said that she had some racist messages or text messages about a dog being racist and she said it's okay, because I am too. Just like the, the bragging and the uh, white supremacist arrogance to put out reports like that. Like, oh, see, well, hey, white woman only got 10 years and she might not even serve that. Um, to be expected, of course. And then the one with the, the the racist jokes, like with the chicken nuggets, like I noticed that it's a pattern of name-calling, like chicken nugget or coconut or Oreo, something brown with a white center. That's what I was thinking of, like something white in the core or something edible or something like that. Um, and uh, one last thing I had, well, two last things. The One of the last ones is the contradictions that races skillfully display, like how they say, Oh well, slavery wasn't that bad. I think that was in one of the audio segments. Because I have heard white people say that. Then they say, Oh well, how do you know what happened? You you know, you weren't there and it didn't happen to you. Well, what are you saying? I don't my I don't own any slaves. My grandfather, he came from such and such. Then they say, Oh well, it wasn't that bad. You know, slavery was a good thing, so confusion pretty much. And uh, it's starting with the the younger people too, um, given that segment about what they were doing at at school. And apparently one of the people on that segment said that, oh, well, we don't want to jeopardize. She used the word jeopardize, I think. Uh, I don't know what that meant necessarily. So I'm just thinking that means practice racism, Uh, but they were very careful with how to utilize words and uh, my last one was that the term, I think it was Elegant Shade about, uh, I think her name is Diane Carroll, uh, victim of racism. The lady said arrogant, or not arrogant, but elegant shade, I guess because she played a character that was, uh, I don't know, uh, somewhat of a antagonist, I think that's the term. But, uh,
10: yeah, that was an interesting term, elegant shade. And that's all I have for now. Thanks for allowing me to share. Much obliged, sir. Uh, Elegant shade, I thought that was important. I think a number of uh, attempted counter-racists have pointed out the word shade should not be used. That supports white supremacy, racism, Uh, the whole deconstructing how that is used, that term is used if you are, quote, unquote, uh, throwing shade Uh, meaning that you're probably saying something or suggesting uh, something derogatory about a a person. Again, associating something adverse or harmful or bad with darkness, shade, absence of light. Uh, That's so consistent uh, and to avoid uh, using that term, but elegant shade. And it was even, it was compounded because they were talking about foods, delectable Negro, and I think they were talking about burnt champagne, which I... (laughs) Anyway, uh it was layers to it. Uh and speaking of delectable Negro, how did I miss chicken nugget? And absolutely they do have lots of those uh name calling where they will call black people foods, coconut, Oreo, banana is another one, uh things that are non white color on the outside, uh but white or very, very light uh on the inside. I don't quite think bananas are white inside, but you know, you get the general idea delectable negro delectable negro other folks we have missed totally uh if you have a hand up proceed well if we got everybody that is awesome uh if you oh (laughs) um
2: Whoops, whoops, whoops.
10: Never mind. Never mind. Never mind. Hello. Uh greetings, Dr. Many. Yes, ma'am, we can hear you.
2: Oh, I'm sorry.
28: Uh, hi, um, Gus and all uh, the callers and listeners. Um I just wanted to um make a comment on the um the case, um of uh, with the uh the case that was just in the um news uh with the verdict and um as everybody stated, like, I really wasn't, um, you know, I, I was hearing about the case, but I wasn't really following it. Um, but, you know, as it did um, come closer to the verdict, um, I did pay more attention to it. But as um, it's already been stated, um, it's just, it's like, okay, I was just listening to um, another um another um uh, uh, podcast earlier today and and um, it was um, some um, uh, non uh, white uh, black um, people they they were discussing this case and it was um, like psychologists and um, you know they were in that field and different um, types of um, psychologists and things like that and he was talking about it from that perspective and I mean the response that we that um we see that it, this is the pattern um of, of responses that um uh that a lot of us have towards um our victimization. So it's my it's basically it's um a reaction, um are reacting to um this uh post traumatic um phrase syndrome and it's just like, you know, we just um conditioned to respond in this manner um, to our victimization. So, um, as, um, you stated, it, it should not be a shock that we see, um, this reaction, um, that we have, um, towards, um, you know, like I said, like I just stated, um, towards our victimization, um, it's, it, the, the, it's always, um, we're going to, um, forgive our, um, forgive, um, you know, the, um, you know, the, um, uh, the white supremacist. we're going to always do that, um, because it's just a conditioning. It's just a conditioning that we have. And, 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 you know, and like the other caller said, I mean, it's, you know, you do somewhat get upset about it because like, um, you know, and a lot of us like, we real, because of the anti-blackness and it's not our fault, you know, this is the conditioning, Um, a lot of us will forgive, um, you know, um, those that are, um, oppressing us, but we can't even forgive like our own family members or, you know, the ones that's closest to us. Um, we have more problems within our own family and, but we, we can forgive everybody else except one another. And it just goes to show you, you know, how bad our condition, you know, how, how, um, we have been taught to, um to um, hate ourselves, and um, uh, they were also discussing how um, the Christianity reinforces that also, uh, the religion is um, used as a tool to reinforce our, um, to ensure that we will always side with our um, oppressors. So, um, like Thomas said, I agree with that. And they were just, like I said, on the show that I was just listening to, they were talking about that too, how all of these things are um, set in place just to um, ensure that we continue on, um, you know, siding with um, our um, oppressors. And like um, uh, Ivy said, I also suspect that the way that it was. Set up, it just, something just doesn't seem right to me. You never know if if even the brother um, was um, that did the forgiving and things like that. Like, you never know if if something was done or said to them to make them, force them to have to perform and put on this act to do this, like um, Ivy was saying, just to deflect from um, taking a focus off of um, Amy. You know, so I in in you know, the way that um these people function, I do not put anything past them. I you know, looking at history, being a um student of history and knowing how they have done things in the past, I don't put anything past them and what they will do. Um and also I wanted to ask you, uh guys you stated that we I mean, you can be murdered people have been murdered for speaking out against uh, white supremacy. So that being said, do you ever fear for your life because your whole platform is based on um, speaking out against white supremacy? And that's all I have, and it's good um, speaking with you all. Um, And we hope everybody has a nice evening.
10: Much obliged, uh, uh Answer to the question: Yes, but I have been threatened uh, with violence and death. I even saved uh, the tweet, and they. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so yes, but the whole reason for doing the program in the first place is that if you are a black person, uh, you might be in fear for your life anyway, even if you are not doing context of white supremacy or talking about racism, white supremacy at all. Uh, I think uh, when we had uh, a guest on uh, from MOVE uh, organization, uh, Ramona Africa, that was (laughs) the summer before Donald Trump and a few days before uh, (laughs) Sue Africa. Anyway, Ramona Africa, victim of white supremacy, she said uh, that hey, Tamir Rice was not out selling, you know, Nation of Islam newspapers uh, or counter-racist word guides, uh, and it's tons of other black people. The same thing is true. Uh, Certainly, thousand black people in Elaine, Arkansas, and there's too many examples of that. Black people in Flint, Michigan, if we didn't have a system of racism, white supremacy, hey, it would, fine, yeah, forget this. I'll go hide and, and just behave and, you know, do well, be like Cory Booker. But that's not, you know, that is not possible. Uh, let's see, other folks that we didn't get to hear from at all. Can I be heard? Greetings, M. Yes,
9: sir. Greetings. And greetings, everyone. I wanted to say white supremacy, in my view, means kill black people and white supremacy means white people. And so white people plan to kill black people. And then all the other races that there are are also allowed to kill black people. And so that's the situation we're in. We're already conquered. We're not fighting to keep from being conquered. We're already conquered. The warriors have been killed. And we're many generations into this. And so there's vast databases. Your phones record things. There's cameras. If you don't cover it, then it sees whatever, you know, is behind it. And there's all sorts of cameras that, you know, there's cameras that can see through, like, tape and stuff, you know. Um, They have all sorts of technology. And so don't expect to be anonymous. And they are white people are very skillful, but more than being skillful is they already have us conquered once again. So then they have time to develop this skill and that skill and understand us better and better. Um, But anyway, so yeah, we have to, speak out against white supremacy anyway, you know, if we have to do it anyway. Um, But anyway, the uh, thought of uh, having like a counter, um, counter uh, massive counter violence against the people who have already got, have us conquered. I would say that again, I agree. that's not going to work. And so we have to figure out another way. And so uh, that's where we're at. And anyway, um, I was also going to say, I'm sorry, I was also going to say um, Glock 19s are, I think the consensus I've heard over, you know, the internet, Lock 19 is the gun to purchase for self-defense. Um, we're, we, we are not waging war but you can at least defend yourself uh, your person
10: uh, thank you much obliged uh, M. Han Uh other folks we missed totally uh, if you have commentary question you want to share uh, time is winding down but if we have folks we missed proceed Uh, Gus, can I can I uh ask Miss Ari a safety question? Uh we will get your question in. Let me make sure we don't have any folks that we missed out completely. Okay, are just... he you heard? All right. Uh yes, sir.
34: Hi. This is the victim out of Brooklyn. I called in a few weeks ago, told you about the yoga. Well, give... um Oh, oh can call... you just give a,
10: yeah. a quick a uh, reminder in case folks were not here a couple weeks ago.
34: Well, I called in and I was giving you, I was telling you about that I started doing yoga and went vegan and how it was going and I I I remember I couldn't tell you the poses I was doing. It was Vinyasa is one of them that I the yoga that I do okay. on a daily basis. Yeah. So, well, anyway, I was listening to the um to I didn't get to to listen to to the whole beginning of the show. I missed it. But on the case that's going on right now, that's not surprising because from all the years of me watching the news, this is like a pattern over the years of how things usually go. It might not go exactly the way it went where somebody gets convicted, but there's been other people convicted before. And, you know, it's usually like five years to get out of jail or things change for them these these cops that do things. So that's that's nothing that's nothing new. And um I've come to another conclusion that if you're doing things to to I wouldn't want to say like well maybe conscious. Consciously help racism, white supremacy move ahead, then you'll be rewarded in the system that we're living in. And if you're doing anything to not help, then you're probably gonna have problems, deaths, anything like that. And another thing is, I have two phones and I called in on my other phone and I couldn't get through for some reason. And on this phone, I was able to get through. And I have a feeling I know why, because your, your station is probably being recorded, but that's okay, because we can't hide anywhere. So, um. Another thing is if you're old, older than 30 years old and you're listening to this program and you have people that are younger around you, then you need to do your due diligence and speak to them about this program and make them listen if you can or give them advice if you can because they need it. They're the people, they're the people who need the most help. And that's it. Thank you.
10: Much obliged, share counter-racist information, constructive information uh, with, especially if you have children, absolutely, or you're around children, younger folks, absolutely, uh, share constructive information to help us get this problem solved and for their safety. That's, you know, safety concern. And thank you for the update uh, with the yoga. I do remember asking uh, about what type of yoga uh, you were doing. Vinyasa is very popular. Burn a few calories, get to move around a little bit. Uh, I'm teaching tomorrow. Uh folks wanna come practice. You're in the Seattle area, let me know. I am teaching vinyasa. Uh hold on
34: before you go. Um, I've tried Dikram too. It's kinda slower, so that's why I'm I'm more into vinyasa.
10: I see. That's <laughs> talk about sexual terrorism. They uh <laughs> did they <laughs> ESPN did a whole series on the which is important because some of the words that they use to cue the postures have yeah. Sexual terrorism is rampant. System of white supremacy. Talk to your children about that too. Jerry Sandusky. Jerry Epstein. Uh, anybody else that we missed? Love it. Retired firefighter, your question, sir.
1: Yes, I, I believe uh, I heard Miss Irie uh, mention about she put bars on her windows. Uh I'm I'm not against, uh, bars on windows, but, uh, uh, as far as the question, uh, does she have a means of escape, uh, in case of a fire inside of a place of residence, uh, because you know, things on your windows, uh, do compromise that ability. Uh, so whether she has bars or not, you know, uh, you know, kind of like try to figure out a means uh, also for your safety. I mean, I understand from the standpoint of burglary, and that is important, very important. Uh, but also, uh, you know, think about uh, the safety of how you and, and whoever else that stays with you uh, are able to escape from the inside of your residence, your place of residence. And I'm saying that from uh, experience. Uh, to where as, uh, as a firefighter, I've been on a couple of house fires to whereas uh, it compromised, uh, people's ability to get out of their house. Matter of fact, in one case, uh, I wasn't able to myself and the rest of the crew that I was with wasn't able to save the lives of two children that was, uh, uh, in it, unable to get out of the house in a fire. So that's that's what I was. Uh, I I mean, I could be wrong about all of this. I, I maybe I didn't hear it exactly. And maybe she has a escape route. Hopefully she does, you know, that she makes a plan for that. But that's, that's
10: vitally important. Thank you. Uh, iri, are you still with us, ma'am? She might not be with us or might not be in an area where she can respond at the moment. Uh, we Hello? Are, oh, can you hear me? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am.
29: I thought I unmuted upon that. So um, to answer your question and gratitude for the concern and the oversight, and if there's anybody I'm going to take advice from about fires or, or safety, I would definitely take advice from you, retired firefighters. So with that said, um, the bars I ended up getting, if you go on Home Depot, they're listed as um, Ideal Security Bravo Kilo 111W Security Window Bar. So the way they were put inside, it's a single bar that basically has a latch attachment that um, is screwed into the... um, other window or the opposing window, so that way you can extend it or shorten it to allow uh another window to open fully even or to varying uh you know length, but then it also has a fulcrum like um arm or what would you call that uh you know it, it has like an elbow or a, a what they call it a ball and socket kind of um joint that allows the arm to go up all the way Mm -hmm. as well. So if you needed to close that or open that window, you're going to be able to make a quick escape. And then thankfully we're on the ground floor, which in a way makes it easier for us to escape during a fire, but also that's what uh, enticed whoever looked in the window. I realized um, I made a mistake and left a Bluetooth speaker on my kitchen table with the uh drapes somewhat close and so not close enough. So when the people came by nosing, based on my logic, I think um they saw it and want to get in, but because the bar was there even a little bit, they couldn't. But now it's in fully, but we can make a quick escape. But again, thank you and I would recommend people look into these for their home um as well. Some bars that it aren't fully eclipsing a, um, a route out. Thank you very much again.
1: Thank you, ma'am. Okay, that's groovy. Uh, just make sure because uh, uh, it seems like they have some sort of safety clause on on them. But just make sure you uh, uh, maintenance them and make sure that they're able to function like the way that you bought them for. Uh, so when a time of real need, that they will be do what they are supposed to do <laughs>
18: yeah,
1: that's all I, I that 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 i, I can still ha- i still have that in my in my head the 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 uh the tragedy that uh existed uh with those two children uh they we were not able to uh get to them in time you know so it's a it's just a reminder you know with those bars and we're talking about that's something that took place back in the uh in the uh late 80s so you know but uh, I, I'm pretty sure that that type of technology has improved uh, and it sounds like from what you were mentioning that it, it is but just you know just keep track of it you know that it's functioning and uh, everything should be alright thank you
29: do know that I will good night I'm, I'll meet my mind so good thanks good
10: night much obliged Irie and retired firefighter Uh, Take your safety seriously. Make it a precaution. If you don't, anything can happen in a system of racism, white supremacy. Uh, I guess, if anything, don't leave your door unlocked in a system of white supremacy. Uh, That should be another one. I don't know if we have any folks who do that, but make sure you have have your doors locked uh, at all times. Uh, With that, uh, check the page. I'm trying to see if we can get a broadcast on the Elaine, Arkansas massacre, uh, just because I think, I mean, that would be comparable to Hurricane Katrina uh, and to have something of that magnitude uh, where a lot of people don't aren't really well-informed about it. Uh, I think it would be constructive to invest a little time and energy in that. So check the page for updates, time, broadcast schedule uh, for the coming week. Uh, again, I am teaching yoga tomorrow. If you're in the Seattle area, drop an email. I can give you time, date, I mean, uh, directions, all that. If you want to come take vinyasa, yoga, won't be too tough. Much obliged for everyone's time and energy. I hope it was worthy of your Saturday evening. Sobriety would be best under conditions of white terrorism. Let's keep our brain computers working optimally so that we can solve the problem permanently. In addition to being sober, let's be buckled up Every time we are in a vehicle, passenger, or driver, uh, in addition to being buckled in, if you are driving, you are not on the cell phone just trying to do all the little things that we can to try to stay as safe as possible under extraordinarily unsafe conditions. Creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people We're tuning in. Nigga, you so brainwashed.
4: I'm a victim, brother.
10: You're
22: a victim. I'm a victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm -hmm.
7: Even my conditioning has been conditioned. Okay, round two.
25: Name something that's not boring.
16: Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh?
25: Ah.